Welcome into the Wednesday edition of Darkness Radio. It's a Supernatural News Parish Share edition. And in case you didn't catch it yesterday, we got to have a co-host for this thing. So we bring in the co-host for the most, the BCB. He's back. He's the one, the only, the Beer City Bruiser. How you doing, Bruiser? Oh, I'm doing fantastic. I'm happy to be back. Uh, I'm so excited to to talk with you and, and talk with the listeners and... Just excited to be back. It's it's I missed everybody. Ooh. And I want to thank the listeners for the healing prayers. I kind of said it yesterday and the messages, the kind words and the comments and all that. Cause that, that makes this old guy feel loved and it really helped out with the healing process. That is great. We absolutely missed you here. Uh, although in your stead, Mally and, and Bob did a wonderful job, but uh, we, we absolutely missed you around here, my friend. So. I knew you'd be okay with Mally. And then I saw you had Bob on. I'm like, okay, they're definitely okay. Because he is he is just well, an entertaining son of a gun. Te- technologically, <laughs> he's a little in the Stone Age. And we, we told him we have to update him a little bit with technology. But, you know, but yeah, he was. He was yeah, you he told was him it wasn't going to tape, right? Like, this isn't going, we're not yeah, recording it to yeah, tape. We like, there's no master. We like, weren't going to reel to reel. Yeah. Yeah. We had to tell him that and some other things. We had to update him on the lingo. But other than that, yeah, he was, he was fine. <laughs> yeah and and we had to uh we had to tell him uh he still puts in a good performance i think uh you know we had to prop him up a little bit but other than that he was, he was good yeah. i don't know what the the whole uh you know self-esteem thing is about but he's still he's got a voice for radio and it's boy he fun does. to listen to it's a silky smooth voice yeah he does he's uh he's ultra talented and uh yeah he's and uh Still ultra afraid that the day job will find out he did it, but (laughs) (laughs) which is hysterical. But yeah, so people don't tell all (laughs) millions and millions of people out there who are listening. Don't tell that he did the podcast. (laughs) It's our secret. Yeah, it's been about a month and I'm happy to be back. Like uh, I can update every surgery went well. Um, I kind of told everybody yesterday what happened for the people that didn't listen. It was uh, supposed to be an hour surgery, ended up being an hour and 45. Ooh. And uh, the reason being is, is when you went in there, um, I sent you the x-rays and oh, yes. uh, you saw yeah. oh, <laughs> yeah. oh, that God, hip yeah. was destroyed. Uh, but he said that when he went in there, um, I had two bone spurs the size of his fist that encapsulated my femur head. Mm-hmm. And he had to take a chisel and, and chisel them out. And uh, then he had to, he couldn't move my leg. They put it in a stirrup for the uh, to re- to put the device in, and he couldn't get it in there. They struggled to get it in there, and so when he came out after the hour and a half, hour forty five, Mrs. Bruiser's like, "Is he okay?" And doctor's like, "He's okay." And I forgot to mention this yesterday. I guess he was covered in sweat, really trying to move me around. Yeah, he said he got a workout in. Wow. And uh, he says, I don't know how he walked in here today with the much damage that was in that hip and how we, we couldn't move it. I don't know how he walked in here. And, and Mrs. Bruce goes, well, that's funny because on Saturday he wrestled a 40-minute match. And then on Sunday he wrestled another 25 minutes. And the doctor goes, he did what? Wow. Because <laughs> that's just what he does. But I'm doing good with PT. I'm hitting the little milestones. It was I, I always set little goals for myself. And First was the stop using the walker, and I used that for about a week. And then it was I got moved to a cane, and I was like, well, I don't want to use this. And they predicted a week, but I only used it for like three or four days. And now it's just doing the stretches, and I'm supposed to walk as much as possible. And uh, 
I'm up to about a mile a day. Today I'm real sore. Uh, I kind of yeah. did it, you know, with us recording. Plus it was the first day with me and the puppies by ourselves. So I had to take them outside and all that. And, you know, Ziggy's a 50-pound dog. So yeah, yeah. when she wants to go someplace, you know, she, but she's so good. She knows I'm I'm hurt, you know, or was hurt and recovering. So she she has been a great partner in recovery. And uh but I got to walk them and, and I woke up this morning. I'm like, man, I'm I'm real extra sore and I realized that I did a lot yesterday. Yeah. So I took it easy today, because like I promised you and I promised, you know, my wife and kids and all my friends that with this surgery I'm gonna listen to my body. I'm going to to take it easy and not push myself like I when I did with the ACL or the tricep where I wanna get back in the ring and I'm gonna beat the time that the doctor told me. No, this time I'm listening and it, it, I had to learn, you know, I had to relearn how to listen. I had to relearn how to walk. Mm-hmm. Um, they had me do this interesting thing. I don't know if you had to do it with your hip, but it's almost like a marching where you have to lift your leg up and then yes. stomp your heel down and then go to your toes. Yep. And and that's how I had to, with the walker, that's how I had to walk every time. But then when I got to the cane, my body just naturally did it. And now that I don't have anything, I'm back to a normal walk. Yeah. Yep. And I didn't realize that when you live for eight years, <laughs> your yeah. body forgets how to function normally. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah. It's important to get those uh, ligaments and tendons moving and, and, and force them to move so that yeah. they naturally move. Yeah. It's, it's very important. And I got muscles that I forgot I had muscles. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, because with the limp and stuff, your body's trying to protect that damaged area. So I have the inner thigh, my groin muscle, and then and my butt muscle are the ones that get real fatigued really quick. But that's because I haven't used them in eight years. Yeah. You know, I haven't engaged yeah. them fully. Yeah. So like things atrophy. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. 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 And I, I'm so excited for the doctor to release me to do like free squats and stuff because I really want to start building that leg back up because I I didn't notice how much my leg had atrophied until the doctor took measurements for the surgery. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, my gosh. That, and he's like, you were not using those muscles. And when you don't use muscles, they atrophy. Yeah. Yep. And I said, well, I'd be able to get them back. He's like, yeah, okay. you, should be able to, yeah. you should be able to get them back. He's like, just – I made, he made me promise him till September till I pushed myself. And I'm not allowed to go back to the gym till September. I'm not allowed to run. You know, I can't do any twisting. Um, I, I'm limited on my bending. Yeah. Um, can't put my leg backwards, you know. Yep. So I kind of look like a robot turning around. Like if Mrs. <laughs> Mrs. Bruiser gets a kick out of it, she'll stand behind me and she'll yell for me, and I'll have to literally just kind of inch my way around to my yep. face and her again. That's so, hey, that's okay. You have an excuse for being late for things because you have to, you know, inch your way around. So that's <laughs> that's fine, you know. And, and or if you don't respond right away to her, there's a reason. So, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And today I'm happy to announce I drove for the first time in a month. Hey, there you go. It was only till the end of the block. I was actually at a grocery store, which is about a less than a mile away. But man, it felt so good to drive. I felt like an adult. <laughs> there you go. Well, hey, you know, you know, people don't realize until you lose your independence how good it feels to get out and and do things. Yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, I've And been, I'm not yeah. one. I don't like taking help from others. I don't like that. That messes with me mentally. But I I was lucky enough where when I scheduled the surgery, I, I got into be able to talk to somebody to develop the mental stability to go. You're not worthless. You're not 
you know, a, a, a um, invalid, like you're doing what you need to do. So I was able to change my mental thinking before I actually got into surgery mm-hmm. and it's helped me in my recovery. It's uh, it does play tricks on you and, and, but you, you do need to, you know, you almost need to take a warrior mentality, much like you do when you're, when you're doing your job. And that is that, you know, you're, you're, you're stronger than, than what your body is right now. Mentally, you have to maintain a warrior focus and just realize that you're not what your body is currently and that you're, yeah. you're stronger than that. And you'll get to that point again. And you just have to have that faith that you'll be, you'll be a hundred percent once again. Yep. And that's why the little goals help. Like the, yep. I wake up every morning and I set a little goal for myself. Like, okay, I walked 10 minutes yesterday. I want to walk 11 minutes today. Uh, mm-hmm. Okay. I took, you know, uh, I took Ziggy out twice. You know, I'm gonna try to take her out three times and just little goals. So that at the end of the day, when I go to put my head on my pillow, I'll be like, you know what? I achieved this goal. And that way it, it, you know, I'm not defeating myself. Like I yes. remember, yep putting my shoes on for the first time like the right way because i had Mm -hmm. to maneuver with that bad hip you don't you can't you know i had to put my leg back and it got to the point where at the end i literally had shoes with no laces because i couldn't put i couldn't tie my shoes yep and the this the mrs bruiser's eyes lit up when i put my shoe on for the first time and i was able to tie it it wasn't the best tie but Mm -hmm. think about i haven't tied my shoes and close to five years because i've had the slip-ons and yep. she came in because she she got the pups already we were going someplace uh doctor's appointment so she was she got the pups already and her her thing would be she'd get the pups set up she'd come out she'd take care of me she helped me on my socks and my shoes but i wanted to surprise her like hey i think i can do it today and she came out and she looks at me and she goes oh my god you did it i'm like yeah but the shoe's not tied perfectly she goes it doesn't matter right she goes you right. did it yeah. <laughs> like yeah. she that night we went out and bought a cake. <laughs> there you go. There you go. That's a way to celebrate, buddy. That's for sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's for sure. Wow. Well, good, good, good. We're, this is all good stuff. This is all good is. stuff. All good news. And, and again, we're so proud of you and, and so happy that, that uh, you're making progress and, and looking forward to, uh, to a, a full, healthy, whole bruiser. We're almost oh, yeah. there, not, but not almost. quite. Not quite. Nope. But, but we're getting there. We're getting there. So I think by... Good. I'm about 80% right now. So I think by September, I should be pretty close to the the 100% mark. Because, uh, well, I got the big trip with my daughter. Remember I was telling yep. you, I think I told the listeners too, yep. uh, she's turning 21 and she wants to do, uh, it was, originally it was a girls weekend with her, my other daughter, and, and Mrs. Bruiser. They're going to go to New Orleans. Mm-hmm. But once she found out I was having my surgery, she wants me to come too. So we won't have to plan around me sitting, yep. which I'm super stoked about. And, uh, Everyone thinks, oh, she's going to New Orleans for Bourbon Street. Nope, nope. You guys got to remember, she's my daughter. She's going to New Orleans for all the paranormal stuff she mm-hmm. wants to do. She's got all these haunted places she wants to visit. She's got all these tours she wants to do. Of course, we'll stop at Bourbon Street one night. But the rest of the time, we're doing nothing but trying to do an investigation and doing all these haunted tours. So, And Mrs. I'm, I'm, Bruiser has the stomach for this, huh? <laughs> she's doing it because it's her daughter i see okay and i and she she made me promise that i don't use her as an investigating tool ah, and okay. and i said i can't necessarily promise that because nobody else at least i don't think my daughters are sensitive and if they are they haven't said anything to me okay. I said, so if we're in, if we're doing an active investigation or we stay in a haunted room i need to rely on you because you can right lead us to where we need to go i go you don't need to go in where we go but you need to kind of go hey 
Yeah. I'm getting something over here and then let us go in there, you know? Yeah. So yeah. she agreed to that, but okay. I, I think I can get her in there. I think I can. Mm, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll find out. That's for sure. That's we'll find out later this fall. Um, okay, so a couple of notes from yesterday. We were talking about two different movies. Haunting in Venice was the name of the movie I couldn't remember with Kenneth Branagh and Tina Fey. And it's not Ming-Na, it's Michelle Yeoh that's in the movie. I got my action heroes mixed up. Um, it, that That's in the movie. I sent you the trailer last night. Um, yep, so you could take and I watched it, it and I can't wait to see it. You yeah. were absolutely right. The trailer hooks you. Yeah. And right, right from the get-go. It's the second trailer, I guess. They, they The first trailer they made for it, eh, it wasn't so great. But this new trailer that's out now in theaters will absolutely hook you with yeah. with the plot. And they put more of the plot into, the, into this trailer. Take a look on YouTube. The new trailer is up. It's the, okay. it's, it's, the, it's the newest trailer that has the actual plot of the movie in it. And it starts off with Tina Fey explaining that she wants to take Kenneth Branagh to an actual seance. That's how you know it's the new trailer. The new trailer for The Exorcist Believer can only be seen in theaters when you go to see Oppenheimer. I found that out last night. Yeah, I tried to look that up on YouTube today and I couldn't find it. Right. All it is is a bunch of fan-made trailers for The Exorcist Believer. So you can't even see the, the new trailer for The Exorcist Believer unless you go see Oppenheimer. Yeah. I do, however, have a couple of stills and I'll try to shoot you one over. It's really hard for me to do because I can't resize it. It's in poster size okay. of, of the two girls and it will freak you out, Bruiser. See, that's what I was trying to do because you intrigued me with the girl walking yeah. down the, the church yeah. covered in blood. And I'm like, ah, and I was telling Mrs. Bruiser about that. So we... When you sent me the the trailer over, I'm like, well, let's look at for the other one too, and and she wasn't real excited. But then when we couldn't find it, she was real excited. So. Yeah, yeah. So if I can, if I might have to take a, a a picture of the the actual picture off my screen to show you what the what the poster looks like, because the poster is the two girls possessed. Oh, and nice. One of them is holding a crucifix as she's possessed. So it's and the two of them are kind of laying side by side and their heads are together. Yeah. And they've got that evil Reagan-esque look to their their faces. It's just yeah. it's creepy beyond creepy. But uh yeah, it it's uh, set for that that's set for an October 13th release. I think a night in Venice is September 10th. Or ha oh. a, a haunting in Venice, I'm sorry, a haunting in Venice is uh, September 10th. So uh yeah, a couple of good movies coming out uh, this fall. So. I have an update from yesterday, too. Yeah, sure. I had uh, chicken nuggets for lunch, and I didn't burn myself at all. Really? <laughs> yeah, There's I got through it. My friend, my gosh. Yeah. I, I don't know how you did it. I don't know either. Oh, yeah, I have common sense. That's right. Oh, well, you could have been <laughs> in the money if you would have. Uh, I could have. I could have. If, if you wouldn't have blown on them and just thrown them on your thighs, I mean, you would have been, uh, my gosh, you would have been in the money. I would have. I Fi would have. Uh, 15 mil, at least. I could have been a sugar daddy, but you could have. But oh well, oh well. Or, or how would you put? I'd be a nuggy daddy. <laughs> a nuggy daddy. That's right. A nuggy daddy. Hey, that's a T-shirt. Yeah. I think <laughs> instead of instead of BCB, you'd be uh, the nuggy daddy. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Well, we got a big show today. Uh, we've got uh, plenty of UFO and space news today. Holy cow! There is uh, lots of stuff on the on the UFO alien front today. Um. We've got a couple of AI stories, of course. China is going to rein, rein in AI because they have to, 
they have to attain to socialism. You're going to love this one, Bruiser. That's, okay. Yeah, they have to they have to toe the party line. Um, James Cameron said, I told you so. I've been saying so ever since 1984. We'll get into that. We might talk secret societies if we have enough time. We have one parachute story to hit you with. And at the end of the show, it's the return of the dick fish. <laughs> so <laughs> I made sure I got you when you were going to take a sip there, my friend. It's the return of the dick fish at the end of the show. You heard me right, folks. Uh, we're <laughs> I didn't stutter when I said that. Uh, we'll be all over that, so to speak. But first... <laughs> <laughs> Everybody loves a good dick fish. That's right. You got to love a good dick fish. Um, they seem to be popping up more and more. See what I did there? Oh, look uh, at that. Yeah. There you go. That was a pretty hard pun, wasn't it? Yeah, oh, it was. see what I did? Yeah. See, see what you did? Yeah. Yeah. But first, six unsolved UFO photos that'll leave you wondering if you're really alone. The Daily Mail has an article out there, and, and we won't go over the entire thing in in depth, but we'll tell you about the six that they believe uh, prove that UFOs and aliens are really real. They, they cite everything from a craft in Turkey to a flying saucer hovering over Wisconsin, which could just simply be someone pulling skeet. Just <laughs> <laughs> Probably. You know, um, they cite a couple of different images, which actually these images from Turkey are very interesting. It's Kumburgas or Kumburgas turkey from 2007 to 2009 i'm gonna hold these up for bruiser to see because something like this you can't really deny those are really good yeah those are really good those are in tight and close objects of something looking like a cylon ship from battlestar galactica i was gonna say it looks exactly like a cylon ship yeah and and those are interesting and very close uh, screenshots taken from videos. A couple of them, it almost looks like you can see a cockpit. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and and they're right up close and personal from videos taken across three years by security guard Yalsan Yalman at the Yeni Kent Tourist Facility in Turkey. They appear to show two occupants peering out from those that cockpit as well. Yeah. And uh, I've got a picture of those two occupants right here, Bruiser. Take a look at that. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's pretty clear. That's like your, to the people, you know, obviously we're audio, um, but picture your classic gray and what people draw it as, and that's what they look like. Yeah, and and almost, and not really a good looking gray at that. They have almost like a skeleton or a skull-like feature to them, almost a scary skull-like feature to them. Um. Several hypotheses have been considered with this, including lights near the top of a distant cruise ship, which I don't know if I buy that when I look at these pictures, uh, and a cunning hoax involving the reflection of a small metallic ring, but no consensus has been achieved on what the image depicts. Skeptics have yet to consider the eyewitness alongside Yellman in their analysis, however, because there was a witness with Yellman at the time. They're really compelling. They look authentic i don't the cruise ship i'm tossing out right away that does not look like lights on a cruise ship no not at all not at all uh in 2009 eight or nine other people also witnessed the strange disc-shaped ufo hovering in the sky and glinting under a bright moon one witness a ufo researcher named roger lear personally watched as yelson took his video of the unusual object that footage was taken by the serious ufo organization to a university in istanbul and their optical physicist went over that with a fine-tooth comb as lear would later tell coast to coast am 
Yeah, they look again. They those are probably the best pictures I've seen in a long time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the results of that, by the way, a tube attack report of the video produced by the Science and Technology Research Board of Turkey and led by astronomer Adnan Akdem, uh, physicist Mehmet Emin, and uh, psychiatrist uh, Karim Doxet. So there you go. That's the story of that particular uh, video. And it was quite, uh, it was quite stunning. The next one... Now you're gonna have to because I'm not great with some Wisconsin names. Is this is this Wyawaga, Wisconsin? Wyawaga. Wyawaga. Okay. Yeah. Wyawaga, Wisconsin, February of 2003. Uh, you may remember this one, Bruiser. This is the this is the actual photo. If you remember this one. Oh yeah, I remember that. Okay, you remember that photo? Because with that, uh, people thought they could only see the lights, but if you look, it's circular around. There's like a circle right. around the lights. Yep, and it's it's plain to it's, see when you look at it. Yeah, and it's just it's hidden by the fog because it's an overcast sky. Yep. But if you look closely, you can see it's almost like a dark gray ring. So yep. it looks like you're looking at the bottom of the of the UFO. And there's an enhanced a contrast enhanced enlargement of the photo as well that's out there that that you can even see even better. It's uh, in fact I have that one as well. Yep, there, yep. Yeah. Um, yeah, I saw the original right away when everyone's saying that, you know, there's these three lights are moving together, and the more you look at it, you can see the circle. Yep. Uh, the civilian UFO research group UFO Wisconsin reported receiving two low-end digital camera snaps of an apparently saucer-shaped craft taken by a mother who had been photographing her son sledding in that town of, you said it's Wayawega, Wisconsin? What? Wyawaga. I'm sorry. Uh, approximately one hour west of Green Bay. Uh, the general location was just north of Main Street on the east side of Highway 10, I'm sorry, 110, not 101, but 110, and south of the Wisconsin Central Railroad tracks. The mother who wished to remain anonymous told that group uh, the object passed almost directly overhead and then headed south towards the train tracks, she told the group which is led by director Noah Voss, author of the UFO Wisconsin's 2008 casebook. She said, I just remember my son asking me over and over what it was. The mother recollected to Voss's group, and I didn't have a clue. UFO Wisconsin reported that they conducted a contrast enhanced enlargement of the photos, which drew out unaltered image compression artifacts consistent with the JPEGs compression typical of digital cameras from the 2003 time period. The uniformity of this blocky compression gives one indication that the images were not tampered with later, uh, which I showed that image to Bruiser. According to UFO Wisconsin, the digital images also showed no obvious signs of digital tampering upon close inspection, such as masking traces around tree branches in the foreground or localized smearing from a digital paintbrush tool. Uh, The other thing, too, is... is the and I, I think I read this back then was the way the it's it's good that it's overcast because you actually when you look at the original photo you can see clouds in the picture yeah and if they wanted to alter it in any way those clouds clouds would be misshapen you yes. know because yeah. if you're using the eraser you whatever Photoshop it would actually alter the clouds so it's to the benefit of the photographer that it was overcast that day yeah most definitely. Uh, Stephenville, Texas, on January 8th, 2008, hundreds of civilians across Stephenville, Texas, reported seeing UFOs over their homes from November of 2007 to March of 2008. And on one of them in January of 2008, right, uh, you, 
or 2008, uh, January 2008 night, rather, uh, U.S. Air Force jets in hot pursuit of one gigantic mysterious object appeared. Uh, the mass sightings jumped and made national news with coverage appearing in the Associated Press, the L.A. Times, and on National Public Radio. The most widely publicized incident occurred on January 8th of 2008 when 19 witnesses spotted the UFO passed west from Dublin, Texas to Stephenville, and then back again, pursued by U.S. military pilots. One witness, who was a pilot and businessman named Steve Allen, uniquely enough, <laughs> really, uh, yeah, told civilian researchers with MUFON that this UFO was, per their report, a large object one mile and a half long, or rather wide, moving at high speed, soundless, and being chased by jet aircraft on afterburners, breaking the sound barrier. Now, since these all happened years ago, since we have that committee now, these should be in that committee's findings, aren't, shouldn't they? You would think. You would Especially think. if military is being activated on, on this particular one. Right, right. And I get the Turkey one, no, because it's in Turkey. But the Wisconsin one, this Texas one, especially the Texas, because if there's jets chasing it, it they have be. to file a report, even if it's classified. Yeah, it should be, you would think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the January 8th, 2008 event got further corroboration later that year when retired meteorologist William Puckett, formerly of the National Weather Service and the Environmental Protection Agency, obtained Doppler radar via the Freedom of Information Act. Puckett's analysis confirmed that a large object or phenomenon did appear above Stephenville on the otherwise cloudless and clear night of January 8th. Okay. Yeah. So essentially, there was nothing to obstruct it. So instead of drawing dick pictures on his maps, he actually did something <laughs> useful. Yes, he did. Yeah. Thank you, meteorologist guy. I'm I'm glad you buy into that conspiracy too. That that's all meteorologists do. It is. It, it is really. So soon after, an approximately 15-minute video by local resident David Karen appeared to corroborate these hundreds of civilian witnesses and Doppler radar data documenting another UFO on January 19th over Stephenville. So it, Stephenville it was, was pretty popular back yeah, then, huh? Yeah, it was a hot spot for sure. Uh, just to give you an idea, this this looks more like uh, pic still pictures of sperm to me, but uh, I don't know. But Yeah, that... The first one that you know what it looks like? It looks like someone has a laser pointer and they're trying to play with their cat in the dark. Yes, yeah, it does. It looks like that too. Yeah. Or like you said, sperm under a microscope. Yeah, yeah. I mean, those aren't as credible as some of the other ones that are that are in this uh, article. The next one is McMinnville, Oregon, in May eleventh of nineteen fifty. This one to me looks like uh, a Klingon bird of prey. I, I mean, this is just. It looks like the uh, old Devo hats that Devo used to wear. <laughs> yeah, that too. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, uh, I mean, that's like you can see an antenna on that and everything. Yeah, that one's as, as plain as day. Um, this one was taken by Oregon farmer Paul Trent. The McMinnville photos have been scrutinized by a Carl Sagan medal winning planetary scientist by the name of William, William Hartman who's a U.S. Navy optical physicist, uh, Bruce McAbee, and a former satellite imagery analyst for the European Space Agency, Francois Luang, uh, <laughs> but have never been conclusively explained. 
This is one of the few UFO reports in which all factors are investigated, geometric, psychological, and physical, and they appear to be consistent with the assertion that an extraordinary flying object, silvery, metallic, disc-shaped, tens of meters in diameter and evidently artificial, flew within sight of two witnesses, Hartman wrote in his review for the U.S. Air Force-funded Condon Report. That's Condon, not Condom, Condon (laughs) Report. In 1975, Bruce McAbee, the U.S. Navy optical physicist, managed to track down Trent's original photo negatives in an effort to determine if the unidentified object might be a scale model hanging by a string. I was no, going to say, that that one I'm not sold on just because of that little antenna. Yeah. All you need to do is take fishing line. That's true. Attach it to something. You mm-hmm. have that, whatever it's attached to out of frame. You take the picture. And voila, you have a UFO. I'll show you a second one that might make you a little skeptical, too. Uh, nobody's found the thread, McAbee told the DailyMail.com, just like Bruiser said. But if the Trents were fortunate and happened to pick up a thread that wasn't solid black, but was white or grayish colored, you couldn't have seen it anyway, he says, of the photo. Well, it could have been fishing line or piano wire. That's right. But look at that one. Now, don't the two... Uh, telephone wires above make you think that might this might yeah. be a little yeah, the, well yeah the telephone wires above you have the the roof on the left and the telephone pole on the right where you could put a string across yeah i'm not sold on this one not this one is on this one. and now again it's 1950 right you know what i mean yes. but uh, nah that's a name it also it also looks like a frisbee Yes, it does. That, that second photo you showed me. It looks like if someone's, so if someone's throwing a Frisbee in the air and you take a picture, a black and white picture. Yes. You know? Yep. Or a hubcap yep. or yep. a Devo hat, whatever. Yep, yep. The next one is Lake Cota in Costa Rica in September 4th of 1971. When I show you this one, this one's a little harder to fake. Oh, wow. Yeah. That one's impressive. It's got lights and everything. That's real. You yeah. can see the metallic... Yeah. Glow on it. it looks like a top upside down. Yeah, it's got a sheen to it, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, photographer Sergio Loeza, working for Costa Rica's Instituto Geográfico Nacion- Nacional. There you go. Uh, my Spanish is a little rusty, but I'll get there. This uh, is an awesome name. It is. Sergio Loeza uh, took this image in 1971 while aerial aerially surveying waterways for the country's Arenal Dam Project. The UFO was an almost classic 1950s silver metallic flying saucer and is one of the rare cases of an object photographed from above from a government-documented altitude, which has helped researchers pinpoint its size. The state lab that first processed the photo estimated the disk's diameter to be nearly 220 feet. Oh, wow. That's a big one. Uh, and those cameras back then, because if, if you got a picture, it's almost like um, he's looking in a bomber jet. And he's looking down through something. Those cameras, because they're documenting for building and stuff, those cameras were the ho- most high-tech cameras you could get at the time. Yes. Yep. Journalist Leslie Keen, who has broken major stories on UFOs for the New York Times and the Boston Globe, has a photo framed on her wall in honor of its historic significance. So what's so important about it that it was a government photo? Well, Keen told the New Yorker Radio Hour there's a clean or clear rather chain of custody with this photo. 
So it's always been in possession of the Costa Rican government. So, you know, it's authentic and it's completely unexplained. Yeah, it it looks it. it, That's real compelling evidence. Tezpotlan, Mexico, on June 7th of 1992. This one, I'm skeptical. (laughs) Very skeptical. I'll tell you why. I'm going to I'm going to show you first the entire photo. Okay, it looks like the sun setting. Exactly. And then I'll show you a close-up. The close-up is the one that everyone is biting on, okay? If I can get this to scroll. Here's the close-up. When you see the close-up, you go, oh, okay, I see what they're saying. Yeah, it still looks like a sun. It does. It looks like the sun setting as it's poking through the clouds. So it's almost like the clouds are clearing and you're seeing a setting sun. Exactly, yep. To give you an, an image of what this is, what we're looking at. And uh, in the full photo, it looks like it's sunset when they took it, too. So right. that doesn't help. Right. Or sunrise. Uh, right. On March 23rd of 1981, a young photographer assigned to capture images of sunrise over a Yusko National Forest allegedly caught an orange UFO instead. The case attracted the attention of Harvard psychologist John Mack after Diaz claimed direct contact with alien beings himself. Diaz's photos remain compelling in no small measure because many in the community of Tezpotlan, uh, 40 miles south of Mexico City, have reported similar sightings over the year years. Rather, uh, Tezpotlan remains among the f- first towns to earn Pueblo Magico status in 2001 from Mexico's Secretary of Tourism in no small measure due to its reputation among locals as a UFO hotspot. According to UFO researcher and author Michael Hesseman, as many as 50% of the region's 41,000 residents has seen a UFO. Yeah, see, he was out there taking pictures of sunrise and sunset. I'm not, that one I'm so, not sold on. Yeah, I'm not sold on that one so there you go uh let's move on as far as stories go this headline says i'm a ufo experiencer who is visited by creatures with red eyes and glowing orbs and my stories are so compelling that nasa and the cia are studying me (laughs) i don't want nasa to study my glowing orbs (laughs) no and here's something even more intriguing uh there bruiser this guy's right in your backyard Oh, really? Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He's a North Carolina man who is on the verge of giving up on life and called out to the heavens for help, and he received a response from what he believes was the third kind. (laughs) I just don't like how he described him, red eyes and glowing orbs, because all I picture is a a gray with red eyes and then down by where his testicles should be, it's just two glowing orbs. (laughs) Right, yeah, he's about to give you the uh, glowing surprise of a lifetime. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. 62-year-old Christopher Bledsoe, who's a former construction mogul, told DailyMail.com that in 2007 he was nearly penniless uh, after losing his business and ventured out to the dark woods around Cape Fear Lake. Oh, that sounds like a good trip, doesn't it? Oh, Cape Fear River and Cape Fear Lake is awesome. It's a great place to go. Is it? Yeah. Uh, yeah I actually I went there because of the movie. And I'm a big Robert De Niro fan. Okay. And I wanted to see some of the filming locations. It's a beautiful area. Huh, all right. So he goes out there with thoughts of ending his life. Yeah. Uh, he said, I got within 40 feet at the top of the hill, and I cried out, whoever's up there, help me. And I never expected to see what I saw. Hovering about 150 feet above the ground were two orbs glowing a blood-red tangerine color. And Bledsoe said these orbs have since 
appeared over his home every night. And while he's reluctant to call them aliens, he is adamant that they're not from this world. He claims to have captured footage of these orbs and his stories, while they might seem fantastical, have caught the attention of NASA, as well as the Central Intelligence Agency and the Department of Defense agents. Bledsoe is also featured on History Channel's Beyond Skinwalker Ranch, where investigators traveled to his Fayetteville home to analyze video evidence and see the orbs on them or see the orbs themselves. That episode will air on August first at ten a or ten p.m. Not ten a.m. but ten p.m. Eastern Time <laughs> uh, on History. He told DailyMail.com NASA investigated his accounts in 2008 and continued for about eight years afterwards. Bledsoe said the American Space Agency did their homework and spoke with people in his community. He also participated in studies with materials not of this world. Tim Taylor, a NASA veteran, placed a medal in my hand that came 50 million or came from 50 million light years away. He's putting that in quotes, that according to Bledsoe. They were looking for a reaction, and I had one of the only ones they had ever seen, Taylor said. Taylor said he's never seen anything like it. Uh, Bledsoe has never wavered with this story, but research has shown that visual hallucinations can occur due to neurological and psychiatric disorders, including toxic disturbances, drug withdrawal syndromes, focal central nervous system lesions, migraine headaches, blindness, schizophrenia, and psychotic mood disorders, that according to a study published in the Journal of National Library of Medicine. There were dozens of UFO sightings over North Carolina, by the way, in 2022. All appeared to be the same as what Bledsoe had experienced, glowing orbs hovering in the air. Okay. All right. Yeah, I don't get what the 50 million light year away metal I don't do either. That that doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't. It, I, I'm confused. As, and I read it confused, too, because I don't get what that has to do with this story. Uh, yeah. There's a little bit more here. Physicist uh, Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick, Kirkpatrick, the director of the Pentagon's All-Domain Anomaly Resolution Office, or Arrow, also revealed this month that unidentified metallic orb UFOs have been spotted all over the world. There's a little bit more here. I think it's probably... N- not having to do with the story, but Bledsoe's accounts are shared in the book UFO of God, and the foreword is written by former CIA member Jim Semivan, uh, who worked in the Central Intelligence Agency's National Clandestine Service for 25 years. Uh, when Chris- Does it say they still visit him? Because why, why wouldn't you just have someone stay over at his house for a week? You know what I mean? Like I believe they do. It hasn't said it, they've stopped. Yeah, so like, yeah. if I'm researching that, you know, it's kind of like an, an investigation. You know what I mean? Like, because mm-hmm. let's gonna... go spend the, well, the the Netflix series where the the warrants that it takes you know 28 days for haunting really to act up, so they put everybody in the for 28 days. If this guy's having it every night, or let's say twice a week, stay with him for a week. It's gonna, you know what I mean? It's going to be featured on Beyond Skinwalker Ranch. So my my guess is that it's still happening. Yeah, it, yeah. Yeah. So it, it, we'll find out more on August 1st. Yeah. I'll just look the guy up, see if I can stay with him. There you go. That'd be interesting if he'd let you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you have, you'll have to send me his name, and I'll see if I can find him. I'll forward you the story, and you can... Uh, Cape Fear's not far from me. Fayetteville's not far from me either. So. There you go. It, the two of you can become fast friends. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. 
Uh, let's move on. I can't even see your glowing orbs. Not those oh glowing orbs. Oh, my God. Oh, it'll be the locker room all over again. Um, <laughs> uh, let's move on. Newly released U.S. government file forms a bizarre link between JFK assassination and flying saucers. This one, you might have to stretch your imagination. on. I can't wait to hear how they connect these two together. That's right. This one coming from the mirror in England. Uh, U.S. President Joe Biden recently made public previously top secret documents relating to the murder of JFK, Lee Harvey Oswald and flying saucers spotted from on a train going through the Soviet Union. Let's try and connect the dots, shall we? <laughs> so we're going from Dallas to the Soviet Union. All right. That's right. Well, you know, supposedly there's the link there with Lee Harvey Oswald. Uh, having been a, a communist or a former communist, let's see if that. Right. Let's see if that connects. Let's see if the math works itself out here, Bruiser. It was down and to the left. That's right, down, down and, and to, to the, the left. left, back and to the left, yeah. back and to the left. Uh, <laughs> which, by the way, we had a guest on not too long ago who said that was BS. But uh, <laughs> a newly released U.S. government file has formed a bizarre link between the JFK assassination of flying saucers. President Joe Biden recently unlocked that formerly top secret document or documents to provide a fuller understanding of JFK's murder. Uh, the case has been poured over for decades, but one document has revealed the previously redacted name of a CIA official, Reuben Efren, who intercepted Lee Harvey Oswald's mail in the months before the tragic shooting on November 22, 1963. However, Mr. Efren is named in another file dated October 15th of 1955, which details a bizarre sighting of flying saucers while on a train trip through the Soviet Union. The official CIA document says the reported sighting of unusual aircraft in USSR was made by three reliable U.S. observers. The excerpt from a cable received from the U.S. Air Force reveals these as Mr. Efren, Senator Richard Russell, and a Lieutenant Colonel E.U. Hathaway. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, the description of the incident in the Trancaucus region details two mound and circular unconventional aircraft resembling flying discs or flying saucers were seen taking off almost vertically one minute apart. It goes on to describe the craft revolving and shooting sparks or flame before passing over the observer's train. The flying discs, discs are said to have ascended before their speed increased sharply. The report adds, uh, after sighting, Soviet train men became excited and lowered curtains and refused permission to look out the windows. Okay. Okay. U.S. observers firmly believe these unconventional aircraft are flying saucers or disc aircraft. The memo detailing the intercept of Lee Harvey Oswald's mail has been released before, but Reuben Efren's name was previously redacted from this. People say there's nothing significant in these files. Uh, Jeffrey, Jefferson Morley, ed editor of the JFK Facts blog, told New York Times, Bingo, he says, here's the guy who was reading Oswald's mail, a detail they failed to share until now. You don't have to be a conspiracy theorist to think it's, con it's uh, suspicious. <laughs> okay, wait a minute. Okay, I'm, I'm having a little... So little bit of a disconnect here, but yeah, let's continue. They're reaching just because the guy... Went through his... Okay. Okay. Yeah. According to the New York Times, Mr. Efren reportedly died three decades ago. All right. 
A June 30th memorandum issued by President Biden stated in the three decades since the president or since the president John F. Kennedy Assassination Records Collection Act of 1992 was enacted. The United States government has undertaken a comprehensive review of its records and has strived to make available to the public thousands of classified documents that provide a fuller understanding of the tragic assassination of President John F. Kennedy. Okay, I'm lost. Yeah, I am too. I so the guy that went through his mail saw a UFO. Saw a UFO. And how does that connect to Kennedy's assassination? He went through uh, Lee Hall, Yeah. <laughs> and, this is a stretch. And how does that make him less credible? Right. I don't get it. And why is it such a big deal? They redacted his name from the original documents. They probably figured it's no big deal. I don't know. Uh, I, I don't. That it's a stretch. It's a big stretch. It's a huge stretch. One more story before we go to break today. Uh, let's clear our palate a little bit here because I, <laughs> I don't know what that story had to do with the price of tea in China. Um, the world's biggest radio telescope could tease out secrets of dark matter and the universe's first galaxies. Uh, this might have some merit, unlike the last yeah. story. Uh, studying the hydrogen fingerprint from just after the Big Bang could allow researchers to kill two birds with one stone. A feature of light absorption by hydrogen surrounding early galaxies could be used as a novel new probe into the mysteries of dark matter and how it influenced the evolution of the universe during the cosmic dark ages. Scientists have long theorized that dark matter, a mysterious substance that makes up around 85% of the matter in the universe, played a huge role in the formation on er of uh, early galaxies. But because dark matter doesn't interact with light, unlike the normal matter that makes up stars, planets, and us, its nature remains unknown. That means the precise role it plays as galaxies began to form remains a gap in cosmological models. To investigate this puzzle, scientists from Northeast University in China and the National Astronomical Observatories of the Chinese Ac Academy of Sciences or NAOC, have suggested a novel probe to shed light on both the nature of dark matter and the early formation of galaxies. One possible way of investigating the particles that compromise dark matter and their mass has been studying small-scale structures in the universe. The problem comes when attempting to do this for a period called Cosmic Dawn, around 380 million years after the Big Bang, a time when the earliest stars were just being born. There were Thus, few viable light sources to illuminate this ancient epoch for astronomers. But there were atoms during this era in the form of gas of the lightest chemical element, hydrogen. Like all elements, hydrogen absorbs light at characteristic wavelengths, leaving its fingerprint on light passing through it. So we're searching for dark matter in a cosmic forest, in a way. Atomic hydrogen gas in and around the small-scale structures that existed during the cosmic dawn, which ended around 1 billion years after the Big Bang, creates characteristic absorption lines at 21 centimeters in the radio range of the electromagnetic spectrum. These are collectively called the 21-centimeter forest, which has been proposed as a potential probe of gas temperature and dark matter during cosmic dawn for over 20 years. Now, from this era has been traveling for around 13.4 billion years to reach us. Along the way, it has lost energy and has had wavelength stretched and its frequency lowered, moving it down the electromagnetic spectrum towards the red region and beyond to infrared. All right. So if you're following us so far, 
will continue. How are we going <laughs> to see it? Right. That's the na- that's the next question. How are we going to see it? We're probing dark matter. <laughs> that's right. With but, 21, we're probing dark matter in a 21 centimeter forest. That's right. The more, Hoping to get some gas. That Well, the, that's a simple way of putting it, sure. Uh, the more distant the source of light, the more extreme the redshift the process is. So with starlight absent, using the 21-centimeter forest as a dark matter probe requires, it requires radio-loud sources like quasar to be seen at cosmic dawn and thus at high redshift. But signals from such radio sources in this epoch are faint. And these high redshift background sources are difficult to identify. So the situation may be about to change. However, not only have a number of high shift radio loud quasars been discovered recently, which is good news, but the world's largest radio telescope, here's how we find them, Bruiser, the SKA, SKA, or Square Kilometer Array, began construction in Australia and South Africa in December of 2022 and will soon open its sensitive radio eye to the universe. It sounds like it may need a little probing in order to open that eye, if you know what I mean. Huh? Get some of that dark matter. That's right. While listening to crappy music called Ska. That's right. Well, hey, Ska is not that crappy. I mean, the police That's used true. it in order to, you know. There's start. some good Ska. You're right. Yeah, There's some good yeah, Ska. That's right. Uh, this suggests that detecting and using the 21 centimeter forest may soon be feasible by actually uh, using um, that uh, square kilometer array or that t- large radio telescope so there you go so anybody that understood anything you just said i just have one thing to say <laughs> nerd <laughs> wow all i got out of that was they're probing a 21 centimeter area to find gaseous dark matter <laughs> with the sky <laughs> see you understood it i did i guess i did see nerd I when i get probed for dark matter it's just the way it happens once a year <laughs> You know, make sure everything's working okay. You understood it. Put on some less than Jake and pro boy. <laughs> wow. Is that another locker room secret we'll hear about someday? No, it's a medical secret. Oh, okay. It's a medical secret. I'm getting up there in age. Okay. Well, yeah, we all are. We all are. Tell you what, we'll take our break. When we come back, better the UFO you know, the intersection between demonology and UFOlogy. Our, our friend Nathaniel Gillis has been telling us for a little over a year now. He doesn't yep. think there's a difference. Nope. And in that trailer for the Exorcist, the new Exorcist movie, they hint towards it too. But is there now definitive proof? Or I shouldn't say, you know, Nathaniel says there's definitive proof. He's got it. He, now, he opened up my eyes to a whole new way of looking at it. But now there's an article out there on MysteriousUniverse.org that is citing another source and we'll tell you what we'll we'll compound it a little bit for you and we'll we'll quote somebody another person who's saying they believe they're one and the same that's coming up after the break we've got that coming up after the break uh we're going to talk a little bit a little bit more about some of the stuff out there in space we'll talk ai the chinese communist party says ai has to toe the socialist line Boy, I can't wait for that fight. Uh, James Cameron, by the way, is saying, I told you so. I've been telling you so since 1984 as far as AI goes. Uh, We'll talk about a human-sized bat. Ooh, that's terrifying. Like a man bat. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 
We'll talk about that. That's coming up, too, as well in the second half of the program. And to end the program today, it's the return of the dick fish, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> we'll wrap up the program with that. That's coming up next. It's a Supernatural News Wednesday. It's the return of the bruiser and the cruiser right here on Darkness Radio. Welcome back to the best in paranormal podcasting. This is Darkness Radio. I'm your host, Tim Dennis. Right over there is the BCB, the big cuddly bear beer city bruiser. He is back, ladies and gentlemen. It's what we know as Cruiser and the Bruiser. Cruiser and the Bruiser, right again. Right again. <laughs> Name of our new album. That's right. Yeah, it's it's kind of like uh, Waylon and Willie. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Good old, good old outlaw country. Outlaw country. We teased it uh, before the break, Bruiser. We, uh, you know, Nathaniel Gillis has told this in a couple of shows now. There's no difference between demons and UFOs. Yeah, yeah. When he when he was on the second time, I he really opened my eyes to some things, and I've been doing a little bit of research. So I'm excited to hear the story. There's an article out there on Mysterious Universe. If you guys don't uh, subscribe to it, maybe you should. There's some interesting articles over there. The headline is better the UFO you know, the intersection between demonology and ufology. The the idea is spreading. Yeah. It's, it's well he brought up a lot of good points, you know, that you don't you don't think about, but then when you hear it, you're like, Why didn't I think of that? You know what I mean? It's like it's right there. Yeah, it is. There's a lot of identifiers. And a lot of things that tell you that maybe they're one and the same. There's people that report that if they use the name of Jesus in front of an alien, it scatters. Yes. Yeah. An alien shouldn't know about Jesus. Right. You wouldn't think. I yeah. mean, it's supposed to be coming from another world. It's not like they land and go, so who is everyone's savior here? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The other thing that's that's brought out in this article, one of the fascinating points of light in an article brought out by it's Professor Diana Polka, or not Polka, Pasuka, that's what it is. She's an expert in religious studies, and part of her work is comparing the, uh, it says, the ecstasies of Catholic mystics and modern phenomena that are now equated with ufology. They're quoting a section of her papers verbatim now, and this is what she says. Many people, scholars and non-scholars alike, engage in cross-cultural comparisons of supernatural, supernatural religious phenomena. Uh, perhaps the best-known contemporary example is the television series Ancient Aliens, which is based on such a comparison. The series features modern accounts of UFO events and alien abductions and compares these to ancient icon iconography uh, from cultures as diverse as Egypt, medieval Europe, and Mesoamerica. The producers not only link modern reports of aliens with the ancient reports, but also tie all of the ancient reports together. This is a lot of what Nathaniel Gillis says. Yeah, I was going to say, this sounds right. familiar, and, and from what I've been reading, it, that there's a lot 
crossover. Yeah. Suggesting that they all point to a universal trans-historical phenomenon that supports the idea that extraterrestrial beings descended from the sky in ancient times and intervened in human history. The producers argue that the presence of ancient astronauts or extraterrestrials is reflected in various types of ancient artifacts and medieval paintings. This type of comparison presents problems. Comparativist Jeffrey Cripple or Kripal, uh, calls this strategy reductive comparison and argues that it reduces the complexities of religious phenomena. In the specific case of popular comparison, such as ancient aliens, it views religious phenomena of the past through the lens of contemporary frameworks and beliefs. He writes, reductive comparison can be pictured as a straight arrow moving from right to left, that is, from a present worldview to a past one. In projecting the present from into the past, this version of comparison uncritically assumes the truth and completeness of the present Western worldview, and so reads all religious phenomena of the past as misinterpretations. That's from Kripal in 2016. Therefore, viewers of ancient aliens will draw conclusions such as the following. Sacred wheels described as the Hebrew prophet Ezekiel are really contemporary spaceships, and medieval angels are really ancient astronauts. This strategy privileges modern views over past interpretations. And Kripal asks, why read ancient religious texts through the prisms of the UFO as ultra-modern machine? Why not read modern UFO encounters through the prisms of ancient religious texts? That is, as discarnate souls, modern gods, or revelation events. So basically what they're saying, instead of it being alien beings coming down, it's angels or spirits or whatever coming down right that's what he or wants us something to look at. or something more malevolent here's okay, here's so, something here's something else that's brought up one of the fascinating points found in her article from purgatory to the ufo phenomena is that the orbs of light phenomena that is so readily attributed to the modern extraterrestrial umbrella is found in the writing of catholic saints and medieval chroniclers but instead of being perceived as alien, that's in quotes, in the sense that we think of the term, they're contextualized as the wandering souls of those in purgatory. The same anomaly, but radically different views of it, and these different perspectives bring with them a profound difference in how these experiences are internalized. In both instances, they solidify the preconceived notions of the viewers. And whether these orbs of light are truly wayward souls or more modern ideas of the extraterrestrial, it does not invalidate the existence of purgatory or the extraterrestrial by itself. As a brilliant professor once told me, and what I believe to be the key in all of this going forward, is the simple maxim, one thing does not exclude the other. Okay. Okay. So the, the orbs we're seeing, she thinks, could be wayward souls that just haven't moved on. Right. Okay. Now, here's where we get to the demonic. Yeah. Okay. That could be, too, why you don't see, you only see them for a certain amount of time. Right. I'm going to kind of skip around in this next part, because they start out, they start out, they wander a bit, they come back. It starts up by saying there's a popular conception among the Eastern Orthodox that all alien phenomena is, in fact, demonic in nature. And the writer of this article says, and while I believe there are definitely onto something, this statement is painfully reductive due to the very nature of the linguistic baggage of all these terms 
that all of these terms have accumulated over the centuries, which presents the danger of obfuscation. Ob- <laughs> it's hard for me to say the word obfuscation. I probably butchered the word. We will be covering a lot of ground today, he says, uh, and I am by no means implying that I am correct in all my assertions. This will be speculative, okay? So then he goes on by there. Uh, He says, as he's going on about, uh, he goes on a bit about why aliens may be demons, why demons may be aliens. Now, he he, he, he quotes a source here, and I, I want to... I want to read directly from this source. He says, in the early 90s, there's an Anglican priest and Fortean researcher by the name of Ray Betch, who claims that he was contacted by a group of government officials known as the Collins Elite, who have been researching this phenomenon in in an official gray zone for the last couple of decades. What they revealed to him was startling, and here's what it was. They came to believe that NHEs, were not extraterrestrial at all. They believed that they were some sort of demonic entities and that regardless of how benevolent or beneficial any of the contact they had was, these entities seemed to be, it always ended up being tainted, for lack of a better term, was something that ultimately turned out to be bad. There were or there was ultimately nothing positive from the interaction with the NHE entities. They felt it really fell more under the category of some vast spiritual deception instead of UFOs and aliens. In the course of the whole discussion, it was clear that they really viewed this as having a demonic origin that was there to simply try and confuse the issue in terms of who they were, what they wanted, and what the source of the ultimate truth is. If you extrapolate from their take that these are demons in the biblical sense of the word, then what they would be doing here is trying to create a spiritual deception to fool as many people as possible. A lot of the same of what Nathaniel Gillis was saying. Yeah. All right. It continues. The story became even more complex when the reasoning behind and the goals of the project were revealed to Betch. Most of it was related to psychotronic weaponry and remote viewing and even deaths by what were supposed to be psychic methods. Certainly, the NHEs, it was deduced by those attached to the DOD, or Department of Defense Project, possessed extraordinary and lethal mental powers. And as a result, deeper plans were initiated, using nothing less than ancient rites and black rituals to actually try and contact the NHEs with two specific, some might say utterly crackpot goals in mind. The first one, contacting them, and the second one, exploiting their extraordinary mental powers in the form of devastating weaponry. So they're trying, okay, so they're using the black arts, basically, right. is what that came down to. Right. Now, here's the, the last. They didn't cover that in many Codes. They didn't cover that in what? <laughs> Men Who Stare at Goats, the remote that's, viewing movie. That's true. Now, here's the last part of it. While contact was apparently wholly successful, as were the attempts to use the mental powers of the NHEs, Betch said that the two physicists believed that those in the Department of Defense working on this project were being utterly deceived and lulled into false sense of security. They thought that the project personnels were were allowed to assume that they had somehow technologically mastered the ability to do what the NHEs could do, 
remote viewing, and psychotronics. But in actuality, it was these entities doing it all the time or allowing it to happen for purposes that suited their deception. With both psychotronic weapons and remote viewing, I was told that the Department of Defense had not really mastered a technology to do that at all. They were allowed by the NHEs to think that this is what they had done, but the NHEs were always the causal factor. So does that, does that mean that essentially they were possessed for a little bit to do the remote viewing and the, the, the weaponry almost? Yeah. Okay. That they that, were being... that it wasn't us at all. It was they had done what demons do. They lied and they tricked us. They lied, tricked us, and essentially they were in control of us and letting us open up that ability through through their through their abilities. Their powers, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's <laughs> that's crazy. That's mind boggling. Now, to, to wrap it up just a little bit here, this passage is from Nick Redfern's book, Final Events, in which he interviewed Mr. Betch on his experience and then later reached out and is supposedly contacted by the same elements of this faction in the Department of Defense. So it's backed up. What is extraordinarily interesting about this passage it's, is it seems to perfectly mirror the church's conception of demonology. A possessed person can be given access to such preternatural abilities, but in all cases, the powers are mediated by the agencies possessing them. It is not truly their powers to wield. So my question is, these people that were doing it, do they have any recollection of doing it? Well, there's a little bit more here. Um, because normally when you're possessed, you don't really have recollection of what's going on. Right. And, and let me get to this a little bit more here. Mm -hmm. um, we get back to Mr. Betch when it comes to... Uh, they, they, cite, uh, they cite another party here when we get into it. Um, and let me see if I can... I can if I can kind of, they they cite Richard Gallagher. Gallagher is a renowned psychiatrist with an impeccable or unimpeachable reputation. He they they cite him as a skeptic. Gallagher soberly recounts some of his experiences in assisting with Catholic exorcists. If you remember, Richard Gallagher was on this show. Mm -hmm. Okay, so they cite him, and I only cite him to bring you back to what Mr. Betch says here. He says with respect to his own views as well as those of the two DOD uh, physicists, Betch added, as a pastor and someone who's trained as a theologian, I can't come to any other conclusion that there is some sort of spiritual deception going on here. In so many of these kinds of alien contacts, the entities involved make a denial of Christianity. Anytime the spiritual issues are addressed, there's always some sort of denial of the valid, valid, validity of Christianity and the validity of the Bible. And I find it interesting that these uh, percipients are told that Jesus was a great guy, but you just misunderstood him. They say he wasn't really God's son. You just don't quite get it. But you never hear them say that about Buddha or Krishna or Muhammad. It always seems to come down to some sort of denial of Christianity. The participants, whether you consider them contactees or abductees, are engaged by the NHEs in spiritual discussions, but it's always one-sided. 
I would have a lot less suspicion of the potential of the demonic nature of these things if they were to say, you guys are all screwed up. All of your spiritual leaders had some good ideas, but none of them really got it. It's a big mess. But it seems to be so specifically pointed at the Judeo-Christian tradition. It certainly seems to me like it's two genuine forces squaring up against each other. Now, that part's a little revealing. Why do all the little green men from Mars and all the enlightened Nordics of Alpha Centauri and all the lizard men of Draco seem so set on convincing us against Christ? Why is Christianity the prime focus of religious dismissal? Yeah, because they, they shouldn't know what Christianity, Christianity is. Right, especially coming from another system. Exactly. So when Richard Gallagher first began encountering patients with preternatural powers, he began to wonder why are they so adverse to Christ? Yeah. Right? And why is Christ the focal point of all this? And he thinks the answer is obvious, and yet the obvious answers should often elude us the longest. So this is why, why again, and why Nathaniel Gillis's, um, well, for lack of a better term, why his, his theory is so interesting and why it comes up. Um. And, and here I'll, I'll quote again, another interesting recurring theme in UFO abductions testimonies is that invoking the name of Christ seems to terminate the experience, like I brought up earlier in the discussion. Right. Um, and here's a quote again from the book. He had stated that during an experience he had in sheer panic called out, Jesus, Jesus, help me. And the experience instantly and abruptly terminated. And he woke up in the bed. And I realized that all the other ad abduction researchers were saying that stopping an experience was not possible. But here, I have one. And he did stop the experience. Okay. Okay. And um, why would they do that when they shouldn't know who right. Jesus was? Exactly. Or Although, is. Um, so, they also cite some other testimonies in this article from other experiencers who had called out on Jesus or God. And boom, experience stops. Okay. In this article, which, again, is fascinating. Take it for what you will. I, again, I know we have, we have atheists who listen to this show. We have skeptics that listen to this show. I'm not telling you it's one way or another. But it's interesting. The other thing they bring up in this article, again, it's at mysteriousuniverse.org. I leave it to you to, to go read this article. They bring up the, well, to put it, discreetly, lightly, the sexual element probing and facts that there are similar. You have the succubus uh, and, and, uh, and you have the probing of, of aliens in, in the demonic. Um, okay. You have that, that parallel to draw between the demonic and aliens. Uh, they bring up a lot in this article. There's a lot to read, and there's a lot that's very interesting that you draw the, the parallels between. A lot that Nathaniel Gillis on this very program has brought up. But again, mysteriousuniverse.org, and, and a lot of what Nathaniel has, has drawn out on this program is in this article. So I encourage you to go read that. It's, it's good fuel for thought. You yeah. know what I mean? It's, a good, it's an interesting take on a different way to view yeah. UFOs and demonic possession. Right. And it's just one school of thought. Yeah. That's yeah. All, that's there's all no right or wrong answer with it. It's just, because like you said, we have skeptics, we have atheists, we have yeah. firm believers. It's just a new avenue to go down and doesn't hurt 
to read the article. And if it doesn't change your mind, it doesn't change your mind. Right. Exactly. Let's move on. Police in the space agency are investigating unknown object found on an Australian beach. This comes in from one of our listeners. We appreciate it. If you have a story for us, just send it to Tim at darknessradio.com. Officials in Australia are currently investigating a mysterious unidentified dome that recently washed up on a remote beach. According to the Australian Space Agency, ASA, and the Western Australian Police Force, the object was found near, I believe it's Jurian Bay or Urian Bay in uh, Western Australia. The object could be from a foreign space launch vehicle, and we are liaising with global counterparts who may be able to provide more information, the ASA said. Uh, since the object's origin is unknown, officials asked the community to avoid handling or attempting to move the metal object. The object is being treated as hazardous until the origin of it can be established, the police force said. People in the area should keep a safe distance until further information is available. Police also urged everyone to refrain from drawing conclusions, but did say in the early stages of the investigation, it appeared that the object did not originate from a commercial aircraft. Here's what it looks like, Bruiser. I don't know. That that looks like some sort of, uh, it looks like the toilet evacuated from the space shuttle. <laughs> it does, but I wonder if this has something to go with those um, big, me- me- uh, the metallic poles that were found in Utah and I think Arizona, right? Wasn't it the, oh, yeah. whatever they were called? I wonder if they have some sort of relation. Well, you know, we, we've had so many things blow up in the atmosphere lately, including SpaceX vehicles. Yeah. You never know. Yeah, that could just simply be space garbage from years ago that entered our atmosphere and, and landed. That's right. That's right. Uh, scientists are saying that humans can now travel back in time via a ring wormhole. That just sounds like <laughs> I'm going to catch something. I was going to say, I've, I've had ringworm before. It's not fun. <laughs> no, it's not. Uh, theoretical physicists have a lot in common with lawyers. Uh, both spend a lot of time looking for loopholes and inconsistencies in the rules that might be exploited somehow. <laughs> uh, Valery P. Froloff and An- Andre Zelnikov, Zelnikov, that's what it is, from the University of Alberta in Canada, and Pavel Krutos uh, from the Charles University in Prague probably couldn't get you out of a traffic fine, but they may have uncovered enough wiggle room in the laws of physics to send you back in time to make you or make sure you didn't speed through that school zone in the first place. Shortcuts through space-time known as wormholes aren't recognized features of the cosmos, but for the most part, or better part of a century, scientists have wondered if the weft and warp instructed by relativity, relativity rather, prescribe ways for quantum ripples or even entire particles to break free of their locality. At their most fantastic, such reconfigurations in the fabric of the universe would allow human-sized masses to traverse light years across ga- galaxies in the heartbeat or in a heartbeat, or perhaps move through time as quickly as one might move through their kitchen. At the very least, exercises that probe the more exotic side of space-time behavior could guide speculation over the most mysterious meeting point of quantum physics and the general theory of relativity. Wormholes are, in effect, little more than shapes we're used to to dealing with single-dimensional lines, two-dimensional drawings, and three-dimensional objects in everyday life, but some we can intuitively fold, mold, and poke holes in. Physics allow us to explore these changes in situations we can't intuitively explore, and on the smallest of levels, quantum effects give distances and time some wiggle room. I know you're confused, and I'm a little as well. (laughs) Actually, this all just reminds me of the TV show Sliders. Do you remember that? Yes, yeah. 
Well, they just travel through. Yep. And that's a lot of what they're talking about here. On yeah. much larger scales, uh, space-time can shrink and expand in relation to gravity in ways that are impossible to appreciate without a whole bunch of equations to guide you. For example, cram enough mass in one place, I know about that, <laughs> uh, conveniently ignoring any charge it might have or if it spins around, space-time can bend in ways that give it two exterior surfaces. What connects them? Well, a wormhole, of course. Matter wouldn't be able to move across this mathematical structure, though some suspect objects on either side that happen to be entangled would remain linked. Over the decades, the search has been on for scenarios, both possible and surely theoretical, that could allow for quantum effects and even whole particles to journey through exotic shapes of space-time unscathed. Frolov, Krotus, and Zelnikov's time warp proposal involves what's known as a ring wormhole, first described in 2016 by the University of Cambridge's theoretical physicist Gary Gibbons and University of Tours physicist Mikhail Volkov. These all sound like wrestlers that didn't hang I was get say, very Mikhail good. Volkov was a wrestler. Yeah, I don't think they're very good gimmicks. Uh, distinct from spherical contortions of space-time we might attribute to black holes, the ring wormhole proposed by Gibbons and Volkov connect uh, patches of the universe, for different universes for that matter, that are what we call flat. Considering interactions of electrical and magnetic fields called duality rotations and applying some choice transformations, ring-shaped masses could create some interesting distortions in what would otherwise be be called flat space-time and voila <laughs> i know you're all going what a hole in the universe that connects you to well somewhere not nearby for for all you need to know uh frolov krotus and zelnikov took this hole and ran it through different scenarios like what effect might another non-moving mass have on the ring and what if the entry ring and exit ring are in the same universe the solutions they uncovered included what's known as a closed time-like curve. Just as it sounds, it describes an object or ray of light that travels along a line, returning to the exact same point as before, not only in space, but as time as well. Uh, Isn't this the plot to Stargate? Yes. Yes, it is. Yeah. <laughs> like, when you're describing, I'm like, wait a minute, this is Stargate. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, before you pack for a paradoxal round trip to the future and back, Many obstacles could easily prevent such a loop. The late physicist Stephen Hawking certainly thought so. But who knows, with the right kind of cosmic lawyer, we might just be able to appeal our sentence on a one-way trip into the future with a bit of help with a massive pair of rings. So there you go. Yeah, Stargate. Stargate. Yeah, it's, you've essentially <laughs> put it brilliantly in less words than I did, Bruiser. You, you just very smartly, scientifically came up with the plot of stargate i uh, yes yeah that, that you, you nailed it on the head there you <laughs> nailed it on the head before we go any further let's uh let's get to uh, a perisher story shall we yes let's please cleanse the palate and get less smart here um <laughs> let's go back to our level of, of smartness <laughs> yeah uh, um not saying we're, we're not dumbing it down by any means but we're just oh, we're no. getting to perisher uh mark's been patient with his perisher uh i i've held this one off for a little bit because i was waiting for bruiser to come back <laughs> Thank you, Mark, for being patient. Yeah. Mark says, uh, hey there, BCB and TCT. 
TCT is not True Crime Tuesday. It's Twin Cities, Tim, by the way. He came up with a brilliant <laughs> new uh, a brilliant new moniker for me. Uh, I've taken a few weeks off from sending in stories because I had sent in so many in a row and wanted to give some others a chance. After all, the name of the show isn't Markness Radio. See what he did there? <laughs> Look at that. Yeah. Creative. Uh, so this week, I figured I'd just send you guys a quick one. It's called Mr. Ouija, Are You With Me? Ooh, I like this. Ooh, I have a feeling this is a Ouija board. Yeah. The story involves the girl that I live with that I have written in about before who had seen the Alabama uh, orb in shadow form. Okay. Uh, one night about five years ago, her brother came to stay the night. As the night went on, he decided to partake in some edibles. Oh, so I haven't we all? Yeah. Uh, so, of course, we decided to freak him out by bringing him or bringing out the Ouija board. Well, that'll do it <laughs> when you're on some edibles, by God. Wow. Yeah. Way to and go. You, I bet they waited until he had hit that point. You know what I mean? Where yeah. they just kick in and then, bam, pull it out. Yeah. Way to pull out the main event, Mark. Um, <laughs> no warm-up act. Uh, oh, this is amazing. Yeah. I, I told him now before my place was built, the house on this property had burned down, killing one person. I also told him how my old roommate had died of a massive heart attack just in the next room. Oh, God. They're just loading it up for this guy. Oh, this poor kid. Uh, he asked if I had ever heard or seen anything in the house, and I told him sometimes I would hear the cupboard slam in the other room. This information had the desired effect on him, and he promptly proceeded to duct tape the cupboard shut. <laughs> Great. As someone on edibles probably would do. Yeah. We turned on the lights, lit some candles, and started in with the board. Nothing too crazy happened. At one point, it spelled the word tide, as in roll tide, because you're in Alabama, right? Yeah. Yeah. I looked around to see what it could mean and found the girl's Alabama shirt on the bed, which she said wasn't there before. Interesting. Could it have okay. meant crimson tide, he says. Well, we didn't know. And nothing much more happened. But right before we stopped for the night, the planchette began repeating a number sequence. 365, 365, 365. Not knowing what this meant, we turned in for the night. The following day, she and her brother went out shopping. I went to work. Suddenly, I got a message from her with a picture on the back of an ambulance and a message saying her dad was having heart problems and had to be rushed by ambulance to St. Cloud Hospital, which is about an hour south of us. She opted to ride down with him. The next day, her father was released from the hospital and she returned home. I asked her what about what had happened, and she said, did you see the picture I sent? I said, yeah, the back of the ambulance. She told me to look again. I opened the picture, and wouldn't you know it, there on the back of the vehicle was ambulance number 365. Oh, yeah. That's why I don't mess with Ouija boards, man. That's just opening up a whole can of worms. Yeah. Was this an uncanny coincidence? Had the message been a warning of impending danger? The real mind freak was a possibility that we had opened up a door that led to the dark events that followed. Perhaps these kinds of things are best left alone. Signed, Marky Mark always leave Ouija boards alone. They are just, nothing good comes of it. Well, tomorrow, my friend, on the show, <laughs> Karen A. Dolman will be with us, and uh, she is an expert at the Ouija board. And, That's uh, right, her cat, right? Yep, she has a new book out there, and the new book, uh, let me see here, let me, grab, uh, let me grab the name of the book here. The name of the book is... 
It's a children's book, if I remember. It is a children's book. It's a children's book, and it's not just a children's book. It's it's a book for all ages, is is the way she describes it. The book was actually written, as you said, uh, with her with her cat Jack. But the book also is it was it, it was started with Jack when he was on this side of the veil, and then Jack expired and went to the other side of the veil. And it was finished when Jack was on the other side of the veil, which is, is completely intriguing to me. But Karen will be on the show tomorrow, and we will talk about the brand new book. The name of the book is When Cats Had Wings. So that is the name of the book. We'll have a link to the description of the book in the show tomorrow. When Cats Had Wings, it's written by Karen A. Dahlman and Jack. And it's actually quite a touching little book. So we'll also talk to Karen about Creative Visions TV. And uh, she's also appearing with George Norrie. She was on Coast to Coast AM recently, and she's appearing on uh, not only Creative Visions TV, but also on uh, George Norrie's uh, TV outlet as well. So she's got a lot of things going on. Yeah, keep them busy. Yeah, so uh, we talked to Karen about all that tomorrow. Also, I'm not going to lie, she's... uh, She's a handsome woman, that's for sure. <laughs> I got the I got the privilege of spending an hour and a half with her. So that always ha- like uh, helps when you're in the uh, entertainment industry. That's tr- well, yeah, that's true. Also, Karen will be at Michigan Paracon this year. Oh, cool! Yeah, so you can check out uh, Karen. Go say hi to her over at uh, Michigan Paracon. If you don't have tickets yet, we'll have a link in the description of this program and tomorrow's program. Uh, for Michigan Paracon. So go uh, go say hi to Karen at Michigan Paracon. She's very friendly, very friendly. And tell, and tell the organizers they want to see us there. Yeah. All right, Bruiser, it's that time again. Unfortunately. I've missed this. <laughs> <laughs> nightmare fuel. It's time for nightmare fuel. Now we're really going to dumb it down because we're dealing with AI. And like you say, AI is only one of a few things. What is it, Bruiser? It's racist and hates humans. <laughs> That's true. You know, Uncle Bob had good things to say about you when you were gone. He, he said, Bruiser knows he's very wise. He said that. Um, he knows. Oh, he that, really doesn't know me then. <laughs> <laughs> he said, but Bruiser really knows all when it comes to AI. He had it nailed from the beginning. Uh, although the Chinese don't have it nailed, uh, they seem to think that AI is going to conform to them. Oh, okay, yeah. Well, that's what Chinese thinks about everything. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. China is mandating that AI must follow core values of socialism. Uh, they, well, what are they going to do? Block it up? <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know how they get this to work. China's released new guidelines on generative AI services limiting their public use while encouraging industrial development. Reuters is reporting that the Cyberspace Administration of China softened its stance compared to draft rules in April. Uh, these new interim regulations will take effect on August 15th, so it's coming up soon. It's coming up real quick. Yeah. So basically, you're going to have Chat GPT World and Chat GPT China. <laughs> yes, yes, you will. Uh, the guidelines only affect organizations offering generative AI services to the public. Other entities developing the same technology, but not for mass market use, do not fall under the measures. The rules, translated via Google Translate, of course, retain some wording from the April proposal. They continue to mandate generative AI services must adhere to core values of socialism. 
and not. Why did they use Google Translate? Why did they just hire a human translator to read them? <laughs> because they want to show that it can adhere to AI. I, I knew Google Translate would like overseas fans message me <laughs> but that's because <laughs> I don't know the language but if I'm, I'm looking over rules or a contract or something I'm getting an actual human translate <laughs> yeah I don't, I don't know uh, so the, the the they continue that to mandate generative AI services must adhere to core values of socialism and not attempt to overthrow state power or the socialist system so you can't come crush our skulls <laughs> so basically the whole world's going to end minus China. Yes. Yeah. They're still going to rule even over the robots. China's like, we got this. We just, we just put restrictions on them. Right. Right. Uh, <laughs> CNN reported the new rules remove potential fines of up to 10,000 yuan or $13,999 for violations. So AI pay up. I was going to say, who pays that? <laughs> well, the AI, of course, and the robots. Oh, okay. Yeah. They pay with Bitcoin, right? Uh, no, yawn. They have to have yawn. They have to have oh, real okay. money. Yeah. Okay. They have to so, get actual. So they have to go to an ATM and pull it out. Yeah, they got to have jobs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they have to go to an ATM. They can just spit that money out automatically if they if they you know come a come across a fine. Uh, China has been looking for ways to strengthen its generative AI offerings in hopes to become the leading provider, toppling the U.S.'s current dominance. But this has not come easy for China, a country that famously controls Internet access and the spread of information within its borders. The government has told its tech giants not to access ChatGPT for, for fear of the chatbot giving uncensored replies, even though the tool is not available in China. You can't get ChatGPT in China, by the way. So China's nipping this in the bud right away. Right. Before ChatGPT China comes out, they're like, look, these are the rules. AI needs to follow it. Yeah, they, no uncensored replies from ChatGPT. Uh, authorities <laughs> so also... That, so basically when Arnold Schwarzenegger comes to kill us all, he'll kill everybody but Chinese, the Chinese government because, you know, yeah. it's against this program. Can't do that, yeah. Authorities also cracked down on citizens using ChatGPT. They arrested a man who allegedly used the chatbot to write fake articles. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, uh, well that's what AI does. Remember the lawyer that got in yeah, trouble? Yeah, they, that's all they do is write fake articles. But, but you can't write fake articles, and you can't write fake articles about the government. That's important, okay. too. Yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. Chinese tech giants Alibaba and Baidu uh, are now developing their own generative AI tools. Baidu uh, offered a first look at its chatbot, Ernie. Well, at least it's naming it after a Muppet. <laughs> I was going to say, that's not a very Chinese name. I don't, I don't mean a lot of Ernie's. Right. Hey, Bert. Uh, <laughs> earlier this year, they unveiled Ernie, uh, but the launch underwhelmed its investors. So, oh, of course, because they did a Bert with them. That's right. You got to have by himself is not overwhelming. Right. You got to have Bert and you got to have a pigeon. Yes. So, yeah. Uh, China's generative AI rules also consider the importance of intellectual property rights of training data and prohibit the use of algorithms, data, platforms and other advantages to implement monopoly and unfair competition so basically they want just a really shitty ai yeah, i was gonna say <laughs> what is the ai using yeah <laughs> it's taking everything ai uses away yeah ai training data must come from uh sources the government deems legitimate oh boy <laughs> this is going to be fun 
Uh, service providers must accept requests by individuals to review or correct information gathered for AI models. The Chinese government said it would encourage the development of generative AI, including supporting infrastructure and public training. China, of course, is not the only country trying to balance innovation in generative AI and public safety. The EU is still deliberating on its uh, AI Act. There you go. So, uh, yeah, eventually. So basically, America's the only thing going to be slaughtered by AI. Yeah, we're, we're the only ones who are going to take it on the chin. Yeah. Yeah. USA. USA. <laughs> USA number one. I don't know. Here we go, guys. Are you ready for this? The song is appropriate because Terminator director James Cameron is talking on AI, and he says, I warned you guys in 1984, and you didn't listen. He's the Nostradamus of AI, man. Yeah. He says, you mooks, <laughs> you didn't listen, you rubes, you jabrones, you should have known. Director, and, G- and if you're not sure, you can go back yeah, go and watch. buy Terminator or go, Terminator 2. Go on the go on the discography and you'll, you'll find yeah. out exactly what happens. Director James Cameron weighed in on the rise of artificial intelligence and the potential dangers it could present in the future, recalling his 1984 film, The Terminator, and then chuckling heartily and saying, I told you so. In a new interview with CTV News, Cameron considered the motives of those developing the technology, questioning whether it's for profit, teaching greed, as it's quoted, or for defense, teaching paranoia as he acknowledged the threat AI could pose to humanity as further advancements are rolled out. Here's the quote. I warned you guys in 1984 and you didn't listen, he said. I we think, can kind of blame him for the, the well, advancement of AI. Yeah, it was <laughs> his, the Terminator was such a good movie. <laughs> it was his idea. Yeah, thanks yeah. a lot, James Cameron. Yeah. His uh, further quote is, I think the weaponization of AI is the biggest danger. I think that we will get into the equivalent of a nuclear nuclear arms race. I didn't drink before the show with AI. And if we don't build it, the other guys are for sure going to build it. And so then it'll escalate. You could imagine an AI in a combat theater, he added. The whole thing just being fought by the computers at a speed humans can no longer intercede. And you have no ability to de-escalate. Well, that's chilling. And if you want to see what the future is going to look like, go back and for nine ninety nine, you can buy Terminator. He will take all the profit he can. <laughs> that's right. He's going to sit there in his mansion on the hill, and we'll all kill each other. <laughs> Hollywood's currently reckoning with how to put AI in the hands of craftspeople behind movies and TV shows without foregoing the crafts of the people in the process. It's already happening. I don't know why the article is saying they're trying to figure it out. Yeah, I guess Justin Long is like the first one to be. One of the AI things they just announced that. Well, I don't know that he's the first. I mean, there's, there's. I'd like for us to be okay. Like here, yeah, you can yeah. use my image and stuff. Oh, as far as a deep fix. Yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Well, Bruce Willis actually uh, agreed to it uh, some months well, back. Okay. Using he can't his, necessarily do using, anything right now. He signed an agreement saying you can use my image uh, back when uh, he knew that. With his uh, with his disease, that he was going to uh, not be able to do movies anymore. Okay. Yeah. So he signed a contract saying, "Go ahead and use my image, um, and be able to generate me through AI." Gotcha. Um, simply because he can't work anymore. Right. And he, he wants to be able to let his family use his likeness and continue to use him in roles so that he can continue to make money for his family. Okay. 
So, I mean, there's one way of positively using it. But, uh, you know, now you've got the SAG-AFTRA strike, um, the Writers Guild of America, they're both on the picket lines and they're desperately fighting over, over this AI. By the way, <laughs> Terminator Dark Fate earned $250 million at the worldwide box office, had a production budget of $185 million, plus 80 to $100 million in global marketing and distribution fees. It barely broke even. It needed to bring in close to $450 million to break even. That was the last movie. Yeah, it was pretty good, though. It was pretty good. I'm, I'm a fan of all of them except for the third one. The third one's the weak one. Yeah, third one is a weak one. With the female Terminator. Right. And with the exception, really, of Oppenheimer, which had a lot of practical effects in it, in Barbie, yeah. this summer movie schedule, holy cow, is it tanking. Oh, yeah, because there, there's nothing really super good coming out. I, I, I didn't even know. And you know me. I'm a comic book guy. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know the Marvels was going to be coming out this summer. Yeah, Marvels is coming out this summer, yeah. Yeah, I have no interest in it at all. No, I think, you know... The only reason I know about Blue Beetle is because of uh, WrestleMania. Yeah. They had him, or not WrestleMania, well, whatever the last Clash of the Champions, I think it was, whatever it was, the last pay-per-view, he was in the crowd. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay. And then my wife, you know, she's a big Booster Gold fan. He's supposed to be in that. So. Yeah, yeah. It's... Um I'm telling you, it, it's it's coming down to, unfortunately, it's coming down to people are, are the, the general public. I shouldn't say comic book fans, but the general public is sick of superheroes. They've had yes. it. Yes. They've yep. had it. And there's a huge backlash right now. It's time for those universes to back off a little bit. Yep. That's yep. why Oppenheimer, I think, is doing such a great movie. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's doing so good because it's, it's not a superhero movie. It's not a romance. It's a it's a essentially a biopic of him yeah yep and it's well acted it's a it's a very very good movie very good movie oh boy bruiser here we go one more time (laughs) yes yes virginia your child can make a robot at home out of his legos oh no and change your dna in the process (laughs) oh no turns out bioengineers at arizona state university leveraged a lego robotics kit and created an affordable yet powerful gradient mixer to purify self-assembling nanostructures yeah, I'm about What's to get into. What's the point of that? The whole point of of Legos is to put it together yourself. You don't want them to put themselves together. Well, I'm about to get into nerd territory again, Bruiser. <laughs> Lazy nerds. Yep. Team of ingenious bioengineers at Arizona State University, well known for their drinking, not for their bioengineering. Yeah, it's a big party school. It is. Uh, has harnessed the power of childhood nostalgia, unveiling a creative solution by a long-standing challenge or to a long-standing challenge in DNA origami research. (laughs) Uh, They successfully employed a Lego robotics kit to build an affordable, highly effective gradient mixer for purifying self-assembling DNA origami nanostructures. This innovative breakthrough, detailed in a paper published by 1PLOS1, promises to revolutionize how scientists approach DNA origami synthesis. God, really? Just leave it alone. Just let the kids play. Just yeah. Next, it's gonna be we figured out how to mix up your DNA with Lincoln logs. <laughs> uh, the creation of DNA origami structures is an intricate process requiring precise purification of nanostructures. 
Traditionally, this purification step involved rate zone centrification or centrifugation, centrifugation rather, which it gets hard to read at this point in the program, relying on a costly piece of equipment called a gradient mixer, which evidently now you can build with Legos. <laughs> uh, however, the Maverick Mines at ASU, fresh off a bender with margaritas, have demonstrated that even the iconic plastic bricks of Lego can be repurposed for scientific advancement. Why? No. Nah, don't. I, I don't. I don't know. Just build cool stuff with Legos. Yeah. Yeah. The Lego Millennium Falcon is awesome. It is. But nobody Just said, hey, it. let's blast, blast this MFR into space. No. Yeah, nobody said that with the Millennium Falcon. Never. Right. So picture this. You got a Lego robot with its colorful br bricks intricately assembled into a single arm contraption atop a sample base. But don't let the playful appearance fool you. This ingenious robot holds the potential to change the DNA origami landscape forever. Please don't. Mm. I'm asking you nerds nicely. Please don't. Yeah. I won't go into the specifics, but let's just say the drunken nerds at ASU did it. They did it. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we got them. They just wanted to play with their own DNA is what it was. <laughs> yeah, without getting it all over. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Mm. Hey, hey, Poindexter, we need your DNA in this cup. Why? And they were like, for our Legos. in front of that girl? <laughs> um, yeah, and that's how it <laughs> But there's a girl in the room. Yeah. That's that's how it. Oh, here's my underwear. I just got DNA on it. <laughs> I looked at her. <laughs> <laughs> she breathed in my direction. Oh my. Oh, <laughs> bruiser. Yes. Ziggy and Talia may be a thing of the past. No, never. The pet of the future is here. Yeah, it's my dogs. I'm not replacing them with anything AI. It's a creepy robot dog that can talk, perform handstands, and even take photos of you. Yeah, you know what? My dogs can do that too. <laughs> Your dog can take photos of you? If I leave my phone out, I have a couple pictures that Ziggy took of herself. Yeah? Oh, I just taught her how to high five too. Mrs. Did Bruiser you? taught her how to high five. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Well, this creepy dog is made by Boston Dynamics. If your real-life dog isn't as obedient as you'd like, the Chinese now want you to replace them with a robotic Of course, it's the Chinese. They eat dogs. Oh, come on, <laughs> Bruiser! That's they horrible. do! They eat dogs in China. Oh, my gosh. I don't know if I can... I'll put that on the podcast. You can deal with the emails. <laughs> I'm, I'm not saying anything against... The, the, the views expressed by Bruiser are not the views of Darkness Radio. <laughs> I'm just telling the truth. I don't know that that's the truth, my friend. And you want to make appearances? <laughs> if your real-life dog isn't as obedient as you'd like, Chinese firm may have a perfect robot replacement for you called GoTo. That's G-O and the number two, the intelligent quadrupled robot, can dance, do a handstand while wiggling its legs in the air, and even rush to greet its owner, just like a real pooch. Unfortunately, it'll knock you over and kill you. I was going to say, if it doesn't stop, your legs are broken. That's right. It can also climb the stairs, play fetch, emit music from its built-in speaker, and even take photos on command, which are sent straight to the owner's smartphone, then put on the cloud and used for blackmail purposes. Yeah, because <laughs> someone's going to hack the dog. That's right. <laughs> yeah. A new promo. You remember how a while ago you got all those nude celebrity leaks? Yeah. yeah. This is going to be the dog 
celebrity leaks and it's just gonna be like pictures of knees and ankles and everything the dog can <laughs> they're see not, they're not even shot well they're fuzzy is, and, that, is that king kardashian's ankle <laughs> yeah that's sexy uh, a new promo clip shows the bot showing off its tricks including jumping between rocks and even working its way around a hedge maze go to is similar to the spot robot dog from rival boston dynamics even though it's been designed for consumers at a hefty price tag of sixteen hundred dollars Oh boy. Go to Yeah. Go to is the creation of Unitree Robotics, which is a company based in Hangzhou, China, which hails its new product as a revolution in the field of robotics. It follows the release of its predecessor, Go One. I get it, it's a sequel. Ah, uh, okay, okay. Yeah, which was released in twenty twenty one with its prices starting at an even heftier twenty seven hundred dollars. The name of the robotics line could be a reference to the ancient Chinese board game Go, which is renowned for its skill and complexity. And has nothing to do with dogs. Like, they didn't consider it calling it Rover. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, they say this uh, product is expected to revolutionize the consumer-grade quadruped robots industry, uh, leading to a transformation of the sector. They say GoTo is on sale now at the firm's website, providing real-time mapping of the terrain that a user can see on their device. Um, this, It'd be so bad when they hacked us for porn. This thing is absolutely terrifying. You could put a gun turret on your dog, too, by the way. so It looks like the uh, villains in, in uh, Star Wars Episode One. It does, yeah, yeah. It's, it it does. It's that's yeah. the the robots in Star Wars Episode One. Yeah, it's it's terrifying. I I would never have one of these things. Although no. they in the video they try to make it look, they, they try to make it look somewhat cheerful and happy and. No. It looks like a dog without a head. Yeah, there's no head. Yeah, it's horrible. It's horrible. And what's the little they, thing on the bottom? What's that thing moving on the bottom? That's supposed to be a mouth. I don't. I think so. I don't know. They had a picture. They had that video of it running alongside a real dog. The real dog looked at it like, her? <laughs> what is this? <laughs> Are you here to take my job? You're creepy. <laughs> Look at here. It's jumping up on its owner. The owner's like, please don't chop my balls. That's it's exactly what it's going to do. Yeah. That's disturbing. Do you see it running alongside the dog now? Oh, yeah. I saw that. I see yeah. it up on its owner. I see that spinny thing that looks like it's just nothing but death. Yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. It's not. It's not pleasing. I don't know why people feel the need to replace real pets with. I, I know you don't have to feed it. Oh yeah, the spinny mouth thing is bizarre. No, you don't have to feed it. But you have to charge it. So your electric bill is going to go up. Yeah, your electric electric bill is going to be. Um, and then you got to update it because you know it's going to have an update every other day. Yeah, yeah. Look at your cell phone. You have to update it all the time. That's right. We're going to save the uh, secret society thing for next week. Um, okay. Yeah, we won't do that. Uh, but we are going to do. Um, we are going to do. Uh, the story about this human-sized bat. We have three stories left in today's Supernatural News. Sounds good. Human-sized bat terrifies social media users. They are, quote-unquote, so scared. <laughs> <laughs> Although, when I show you this picture, Bruiser, you are going to be alarmed. It's just the human-sized bat already scares me. You know, I had a... In, in, Even though I like bats. In college, we used to, in Winona, Minnesota, bats were a common thing to fly inside your house. But you had yeah. to wait until... This is going to sound cruel and unusual. You had to wait until morning, and they would get behind your curtains or behind right. your um, behind your shades. And the way you got rid of them, and this is cruel and unusual because it can kill the bat, but you'd have to knock them with a broom off their perch, and then you'd sweep them outside. 
Yeah. But that could kill the bat because the bat is disoriented and then doesn't know where to go from there. We have to have special shutters on our top of our house because at night bats could fly in there. Oh, yeah. See? Yeah. Yeah. So, now, know. when you say a human-sized bat, you're not going to show me a picture of Michael Keaton or George Clooney. No, no, hanging up. Val Kilmer. No. No. No, no. This is for real and this is terrifying. Okay. Uh, a s- social media right now is going bat for a human-sized bat. Twitter user at Alex Joestar 62 posted a, f- I'm sorry, it's not Twitter anymore. It's X. Yeah, it's stupid. Yeah, yeah. Elon ruined another thing for us. Uh, posted a photo that seemingly showed an extremely large black-winged mammal just hanging out. The picture was taken in the Philippines and showed the bat suspended upside down in a building. Remember when I told you all about the Philippines having human-sized bats? Yeah, this was what I was talking about, the person said, alongside photos of the animal. However, some Twitter users, I'm still going to call it Twitter, I don't give a shit about X, um, doubted the apparent dimensions of the beastie. One believed that the bat's position is really a neat photography trick, there's, this is no photography trick. There's perspective <laughs> This here. is a big-ass bat. <laughs> yeah. Appearing larger than they are by using forced perspective. Others thought it was photoshopped, with one person claiming that the shadow is not casted and the string it's attached to is not even bending over the weight. Okay. Um, Again, I'm going to show you this picture and you're going to go, Jesus Christ. (laughs) The light source is a small square hole in the roof, but on the left side of wood, it's well illuminated, they alleged. Uh, But there is some clarification in replies to the tweet with claims that the beast is actually a giant golden crowned flying fox known as a fox bat. Fox bats are large fruit-eating animals that are found on tropical islands around Asia and Australia. Their wingspan can reach five feet. Their bodies can be as long as 16 inches. One Twitter user noted that the creature is indeed real. Hey, uh, from the Philippines here, I can confirm this. They have huge wingspans, but the bodies are not really that big, more or less this, like the same body as a medium or a bit smaller-sized dog. That's still huge. That's still a big bat. Yeah, I, if anything flew like that at me and wanted uh, on top of my head or in my hair, I would, uh, I'd want That's to like run screaming. Ziggy having wings, basically, yeah. is what yeah. they're saying. Yeah. She's a medium-sized dog. Yep. So. yep. And yeah, they only eat fruits, guavas most par- particularly. They're really gentle, too, the user continued. Oh, yeah, they're going, oh, I'm still going to run screaming. Uh, others took comfort in the fact that the creatures are herbivores. Still, some found them frightening. That's horrifying, said one commenter. If I saw one in real life, I would give it all the money in my wallet and then pass away. <laughs> Secondly, why is it taller than me? All right, Bruiser, get yourself ready for this, my friend. There's, I swear to God, it better not be. There's perspective in this and that there's a motorcycle in the foreground. Holy crap. <laughs> yeah, that is right? A huge bat. You see the motorcycle seat in the foreground? Yeah. Okay. Now compare it to the size of the bat that's hanging from the roof. That bat could probably, that's probably the bat's motorcycle. Yeah, it is. It probably takes off and fights crime on that sunbitch. Oh my God, the size of that head. Yeah, right? That's the size of a small dog. Yeah, I'm going to say that's Ziggy hanging upside down with wings. Yep. Holy cow. Isn't that something? Yeah. Yeah. 
I'm Batman. I'm thinking I might post this in the descri- description of the program so people yeah. can take a look at this and go, I don't want this thing hanging in my basement. That thing could fly up to a full moon and be the bat signal. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. how big that thing is. Uh, this next story, the next two stories, uh, let's just say, take it with a grain of salt. Okay, I will. Or a salty tear, one or the other. <laughs> or okay, salty something else. Um, we'll, we'll put it in that deal. Um, and, you know, I don't buy the, the uh, song by the cure, Boys Don't Cry. <laughs> but the fact of the matter is that sometimes some boys might cry a little too much. In yeah, fact, I've met some of those boys. And <laughs> in fact, to the point where they might go blind. <laughs> we have a story about a man who went temporarily blind while attempting a hundred hour crying marathon. Why would you do that? Well, we're about to tell you. What do you do? Just watch showgirls over and over and over again? <laughs> That's one way. Either that or he's a Viking fan. Yep. <laughs> Uh, I, Which I, reminds you, have you seen the show on Netflix called Quarterback? Not yet, no. I, I, uh, it, Kirk Cousins comes off really good on it. Nah, that's why I'm afraid to watch it. I, I hate <laughs> him with a passion. Like I, I hated him until the last episode, and I'm like, I get a soft spot for this guy. Still a terrible quarterback. He's yeah, a good well, human. Yeah. Oh, what is it that he does that's so impressive? Just how, how nice of a human being, how modest he is. Uh, yeah. You know, he's I, a nerd. He's a, he's a giant nerd. Yeah, but I've heard the whole thing about, oh, you know, he he blows the effing Giants game and in the playoff game, and then he goes home and he reads to his kids. Yeah, you know what? I can suck at my job, too, and go read to kids. It doesn't matter. No, he he's he drive, on the drive home, he tells his wife how he sucked the game. He's like, I shouldn't have done this. I should have done this. I should have. Like, he breaks down his mistakes. Oh, but he never <laughs> learns from it. Oh, God, no, no, I didn't say he learned from he's, him. I'm just saying he owns up to his mistakes. That's why I have respect for him, because he owns it all. He's like, that was my fault. He's taken hundreds of millions of dollars from the Vikings, yeah. and he still doesn't learn from his mistakes over five years? <laughs> I'll tell you what, if you do watch it, like, just be ready, because he's hurt a lot. <laughs> well, yeah, and he, well, but he made hundreds of millions like, of dollars to get that I hurt. don't know how your offensive line still has jobs watching how much he gets hit. <laughs> Well, they they finally this year have a halfway decent offensive line. Bruiser goes, how do these guys have jobs? Why is he friends with these guys? I don't know. I don't know. Our offensive line has sucked over. over, He was the most hit quarterback last year. And when you watch this, because he gets hit one time and you just hear, oh, (laughs) he gets in the huddle and he's just going, oh. He kind of has it coming, though, you know? Center comes up and goes, my bad, dude, my bad. Oh, our, goes, oh. our center sucks. And they re-upped him. They, they gave know. him a new contract in the offseason. Yeah, but they, t- they tell you why. Because he's, it's like you said, he's good friends with the head coach. Him and the head coach oh. used to be, they used to be in the Redskins together. So he talks about all that. But it's just, you'll love it because he just gets slaughtered every single game. Our, he's just, oh, our center sucks harder than a whore in Fleetwood. <laughs> they have a much better backup center. Austin yeah. Schlotman is a better center than the one we have. And they're like, oh, no, let's let him do a new five-year deal. Because, you know, if anyone sucks harder than, than Cousins, it's got to be our center. <laughs> so why not put the two of them together? 
Uh, okay, let's go back to the story. We're on a tangent here. We're doing sports talk with Bruiser and the Cruiser. That's right. And, and speaking of crying, there's a reason I want to cry <laughs> as, for 100 hours as a Minnesota Vikings fan. I can relate to this some bitch right here. <laughs> this is your football season. <laughs> this is it right here. This man goes temporarily blind while attempting a 100-hour crying marathon, otherwise known as a Minnesota Vikings 2023 season. <laughs> I've already started my hundred hours of crying. You want to know why, Bruiser? Is it the article you sent me about oh, how your Minnesota Vikings have become the '90s Cowboys? Yeah, yes. We started off the season with our number one draft pick driving 140 miles an hour down the middle of St. Paul in the middle of the night. I'll be drunk. No, no, he wasn't drunk. He's now come out with the explanation. Here's how he's trying to cover it. My dog had an emergency in the middle of the night. Bullshit, buddy! Right? Well, he took his dog to the club with him. It's okay. (laughs) Yes, the the dog was drunk, so I had to get him to the vet. (laughs) Oh, sure. Then, Everson Griffin, who's not even a a Viking anymore, but let's pin it on the Vikings... (laughs) Is driving drunk, and we nail him, so let's... Oh, former Viking Everson Griffin is drunk. So here's another Viking story. He hasn't been a Viking in years! But let's pin it on him. So strike two against the Vikings this year. Why they're going to suck. You're going to go blind, Tim. I'm going to go blind, and I'm going to start... By the way, by the way, Bruiser, by the way, here's my big punchline. Get this ready. Right? Right? By the way, the Vikings are so pathetic this year, they're sponsored by Uber because (laughs) none of these motherfuckers should be driving anywhere this year. Uber, official sponsor of the Minnesota Vikings because none of them should be let behind the wheel. (laughs) I love getting you on your tangents. There, that's my rant. Okay. (laughs) Now, this man went temporarily blind while attempting a 100-hour crying marathon. Let me get back to this story. Okay, okay. He's in Nigeria, the only place they've never heard of the Minnesota Vikings. (laughs) So he's definitely watching showgirls. That's right. A Nigerian comedian and content creator allegedly lost his sight for about 45 minutes after sobbing for hours in an attempt to cry for 100 hours and set a world record for the longest time crying continuously. Why would you want that record? That's so stupid. I don't know. <laughs> Tembu Daniel, who goes by 237 Crier on Instagram, recently lived up to his nickname by attempting a rather unusual world record, crying continuously for 100 hours. The young Nigerian began his cryathon on July 9th, but was forced to suspend his crying only six hours later due to some unforeseen side effects. Apparently... Forcing himself to cry for hours nonstop caused Daniel to experience headaches, puffed eyes, and a generally swollen face. Well, that'll happen. Well, no shit. <laughs> Just crying for a little. Has he never broken up with a girl? Right. Yeah, well, or anybody for that matter. Yeah. However, the most worrying symptom that happened to Daniel was partial blindness, which allegedly lasted for about 45 minutes. I really hope he did this for a woman to show how sensitive he is. I'm sure. I, and still, now he can't see her for 45 minutes. That's right. <laughs> Here's the quote from the online entertainer. He told this to the BBC. I had to re-strategize and reduce my wailing. <laughs> 
adding that he didn't want to let this speed bump stop him from achieving his goal. However, it's unclear whether he actually completed the 100 hours of continuous crying, as the few clips of the attempt posted to his Instagram showed the timer at only two hours and nine minutes and at five <laughs> hours and 54 minutes, respectively. So he was 95 hours short. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Talk about coming up short on your goals. Exactly. He wasn't even close. <laughs> <laughs> the African town crier posted a poster of his record attempt on Instagram earlier this month, which featured the Guinness records. Uh, in reality, he never bothered contacting Guinness about his actual crying marathon. And perhaps it was for the best, as the famous organization actually reacted to his record attempt, clarifying that they wouldn't have monitored such a record attempt anyway. <laughs> hey, man, this is a stupid record. Even we're not going to cover it. <laughs> right. Uh, just to quell some recent rumors, we wouldn't have ever monitored a record for the longest marathon crying, Guinness tweeted. Exactly. Uh, even if he had failed his target of 100 hours of continuous crying, Tembu Daniel definitely got the attention he was craving as his unique record attempt made international news headlines and went viral on social media and even got a mention right here on Darkness Radio. Way to go, bud. <laughs> Way to go. You hit the pinnacle. <laughs> One person commented on Instagram with a laughy emoji after this, he will never want to cry in his life again. <laughs> Someone else joked, by the time you're done crying, you would have created your own little river. Oh. And if he would have played music with it, it would have been his own little river band. <laughs> There's a 70s joke for you. He literally cried me a river. There you go. Finally, Bruiser. We come, oh, I've been waiting for this. We come to the end of the road. It's the return of the dick fish. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> this guy's a dick. Yep. <laughs> and all those Vikings who are causing trouble at the beginning of the season can eat a bag of dick fish. <laughs> I've just about had it with this team, I'm telling you. I'm just going to slap somebody in the face with a dick fish. That's right. By the way, Bruiser, have you, in case you, you forgot what these things look like, there you go. <laughs> oh, I remember. <laughs> <laughs> they definitely are uncircumcised. They are, yes. They're not the <laughs> circumcised dick fish you're looking for. <laughs> uh, thousands of infamous penis fish wash, <laughs> wash ashore after heavy storms. That's right. They're back, kids. Uh, just take a look. Uh, these saucy-looking sea creatures sure are making a splash. I heard, it, I heard the dick fish tastes like ass, though. Oh, no. <laughs> Maybe after being in all that heavy water. Uh, thousands of so-called penis fish have washed ashore on a beach in Rio Grande, Argentina. Did semen find them? Uh, they're washed ashore in Rio Grande, Argentina, shocking locals with the phallic appearance. One woman screamed mightily aloud and saying, my greatest dream has come true. <laughs> and John Wayne Bobby went, been there. <laughs> 
The marine life, which is actually a breed of spoonworm, <laughs> of course they were spooning. Oh, yeah. yeah. Are they the big spoon or little spoon? Well, uh, based on the size, the big one. <laughs> Officially known as Eurekus. Oh, my God. Eurekus. You, somebody named it this on purpose. <laughs> Unisinctus. Boy, it just sounds phallic. Was given. You all, you all know what it means about with the dick fish. It's not the size of the dick fish. It's the motion. It's how you use it. It's the motion of the ocean. Admit it. You're <laughs> going to say that, right? Yeah, I was. Yeah. <laughs> uh, was given its naughty nickname due to its striking resemblance to the human penis. Aw. <laughs> Aw. Measuring slightly larger than the average male appendage at 10 inches. Well, speak for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> The penis. And you know what? What's it? These you shouldn't take pictures of and send to women either. Right. <laughs> the penis fish features a shaft and large head, complete with a hole that looks like a metis. A metis? <laughs> there's a there's a punchline in my legal on there. A metis damn near ran into us. The best is that they travel with two puffer fish right below them. <laughs> <laughs> Well, when the puffer fish meets the metis, I mean, you know, you get a you know, full-length it's, it's, movie. It's the penis fish with the two puffer fish and then the starfish behind them. Bruce. <laughs> well, the worms usually live at the bottom. They're, they're of companions of the blowfish. <laughs> While the worms usually live at the bottom of the ocean, no shock there, they were washed ashore during a large storm that struck the Rio Grande area on Monday. Photos of the fleshy marine life were taken by Rio Grande residents over and over and over again and then sent to their girlfriends, which are now <laughs> being shared across social media, which is no big shock to anybody it's there. still not attractive. Nope. Well, the penis fish have caused a stir in Argentina. It's not the first time that they've stunned beachgoers. Well, no, on most nude beaches, you see them every day. <laughs> Back in 2019, thousands of worms appeared on the shore of Drake's Beach near San Francisco following a storm. <laughs> Those weren't penis fish, my friend. Ivan Parr, a biologist from the Western Section of Wildlife Society, first spotted the sea creatures and claimed that other locals didn't believe that they were really worms. <laughs> no, it was a mafia no. hit. Yeah, this is a village of, of eunuchs <laughs> walking around. Oh, that's where I left my penis fish. Ah. <laughs> <sighs> I've heard really of, bad when they spit at you. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to. You don't want to pet them too much. <laughs> they get really tired after. <laughs> One wrote a book called "When a Spit Becomes a Dribble." Hmm. <laughs> the tiny ones are humiliated all the time. <laughs> uh, I wonder if there's erectile dysfunction in their community. 
I've heard of my share of imaginative theories from beachcombers, such as flotsam of a wrecked bratwurst freighter. He stated at the time, that's terrible. (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, an Australian marine biologist went viral on social media in 2021 after sharing a snap of the penis fish, which prompted several X-rated replies. Oh, are you ready for these? Oh, these are going to be great. Here we go. One user joked, analogizing the worm to a sex toy, where'd you put the batteries? (laughs) another joked wow some marine animals are going to have fun with that (laughs) i'm not putting in the room shots here if you know what i mean i Uh, can't wait till they mention the sperm whale oh (laughs) the sea creature dates back 300 million years and has a lifespan of about 25 years by the way (laughs) that's a long time to stay up Do you think when they found him, they started yelling, I just got out of the pool. (laughs) (laughs) It's 10 inches now. Just wait till the sun comes out. Uh, Surprisingly, the penis. (laughs) I can't read the slide. Hold your applause until the end. Surprisingly, the penis fish can also be eaten. (laughs) And are often served up at markets in South Korea, China, and Japan. You just look. This fish brought to you by Bluetooth. (laughs) You just look for the glory holes in order to eat some. (laughs) They are said to have a chewy texture and are surprisingly sweet. You don't want to play with your penis fish too long. Your hands might get peri, <laughs> your palms, <laughs> or you'll go blind. <laughs> Did you know also the penis fish are often served with a savory sauce made from a sesame oil or vinegar with gochujang? I heard that they, I heard that they always like running into tuna. <laughs> Often accompanied by a bang. (laughs) And that, folks, (laughs) is the return of the dick fish. Uh, Coming soon to a shore near you. (laughs) Hey, all you got to do is put up with them for three minutes and then they'll just leave. might be thoroughly disappointed but hey they're happy <laughs> and surprisingly take a nap right there you know exactly. you know it's it, it is what it is <laughs> they caught one smoking a cigarette <laughs> <laughs> how he got it up to his mouth without any arms is beyond me but you know we all have our cross to bear <laughs> then there's always the weird one, you know, the Prince Albert. <laughs> <laughs> How he got the piercing, we'll never know. <laughs> <laughs> they say one head balls, but we'll never tell. <laughs> uh, 
Well, with you all think the... we, you think we can start a new thing? You know, they got cockfighting. Do we have dick fish fights? <laughs> dick fish fights. You just throw them at each other. <laughs> I think Kirk Cousins found out something to do after his contract expires. <laughs> He'll be about as accurate with a dick fish as he is with a football. <laughs> <laughs> the nuns are constantly yelling at you for playing with your dick fish. <laughs> <sighs> I think we've exhausted the dick fish. I think we, Well, and the dick fish are exhausted the minute they hit the shore. <laughs> Coming up tomorrow on the program, Karen oh. A. Dolman, who wants nothing to do with dick fish, I'm sure. <clears throat> I don't know what that means. I just, we'll, we'll talk to her about it. Uh, that's coming up tomorrow. Uh, the, uh, the book is, uh, the book is available and out there right now, uh, by the way, it's, it's a book for all ages. Uh, we want you to check it out. Uh, we'll be talking about the Ouija board as well. Uh, the book is when cats had wings. We'll be talking about that. It was written by Karen A. Dolman and Jack. Just, uh, I had to throw that in there. It's a, it's a <laughs> Will and Grace reference. Um, so uh, Karen A. Dahlman uh, channeled Jack after he crossed over to the other side. Jack wrote the book on this side with her and then continued it on the other side via Ouija board. We'll talk about that book tomorrow. Uh, also, we will talk about Karen's other uh, ventures into uh, the Ouija board. So that is coming up tomorrow on Darkness Radio. Bruiser. Yeah. What you got going on besides rehab, man? Just rehab. Just rehab. Just All rehab. Right. Uh, Sunday. Actually, I am producing the AML show that is going on. And then uh, next week, I return full-time to uh, the AML Training Center to train the youth. All right. Hopefully, hopefully, I have to see how it goes that first day. All right. And how, people, uh, how do people get a hold of AML if they want to train with the best? AMLWrestling.com or right. on Facebook, AML Wrestling. And they can also get their tickets there as well? Yep. All right. Yep. And then you can watch it on um, Title Match TV, just like you did with my last match. There you go. And I subscribe to Title Match TV, by the way. Well, there you go. Yeah. They got, uh, they got a few guys coming after you. Uh, Jimmy Hart will be there. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think what else they have there. I have to look. Coming up in August. Oh, yeah. That's that, when you got Kane. Guy Eric, Eric summons, Redbeard. Yeah. That guy who summons fire, Kane. Eric Redbeard uh, from this area, from uh, yep. also formerly of the Wyatt family, will be down at AML yes, uh, in is. August. Yeah. So there's some big stuff happening in AML, and they have some wonderful wrestling, wonderful performers down there, uh, down in AML. So you're going to want to check out AML. They have some of the best performers down there. Yeah. Yeah. You guys, for your uh, your last match there before surgery, you guys had Jacob Fatu down there. Yep, and Speedball Mike Bailey, yep. uh, Joey Janella. Yep. Uh, Tommy Rich came in. This one we yep. got um, Nick Aldis and Mickey James. Really? Yep. See. They're coming in. And then a regular C.W. Anderson for all the old ECW fans. Yep. Who I've become great friends with. He shares old ECW stories with me, and I love it. Yeah, there you go. And then George South, another great yes. legend from this area. Yeah, George South is is still amazing in the ring. Still amazing in the ring. Yep. So even if you're not a wrestling fan, tune in because Brian and Tracy put on a great product, and and they're letting me have some creative reign with the with the producing and. I've been very proud of what we've been putting out lately. It's a real good show. Real good show. So Title Match Network, folks, you can find it online. Uh, we'll put a link up to it. Um, 
I tell you what, we'll put a link up. There's already a link up to it. If you go to our blog and look up yep. events, there's a link up to it there at, at darknessradioshow.com. Um, we'll update the events section so you can see the latest in AML and where you can uh, sign up in amlwrestling.com for training and whatnot. Uh, we'll keep that section fresh for you so you can you can check that out. And we'll put up a and link. I believe with title match, you can go back and watch all the old AML shows. Yes. So, like, you can watch yeah. all the when I was wrestling, you know, my matches with like Jerry, the King Lawler and rock and roll express and stuff like that. And then you can watch the shows I produced, like they have ladies night out and I produced that whole, all 30 matches. There you go. So we'll, we'll update that section for you. So you can, you can check that out as well. Go to darknessradio.com, click on the event section and uh, those links. Will, Darkness radio show. Oh, I'm sorry. Darkness radio show.com. Whoops. And yeah. uh, check out that. Uh, events section and uh, we'll have that updated for you so you can check out that title match network uh, check that out as well uh, lots of if you're especially if you're a wrestling fan lots of good stuff on there uh, as far as uh, as far as I go nothing I got nothing <laughs> I got nothing. not in St. Cloud or anything huh oh wait I will be in St. Cloud this weekend there yeah. you go yeah so I will be in St. Cloud this weekend uh, knsiradio.com uh, from 7 to 9 a.m. Central Time this weekend. So, uh, yeah, I'll be up in St. Cloud this weekend. You can listen to me talk about the weather, the sports, um, introduce some stuff, and just be myself. So there you go. Not that I'm not myself here, but, you know, that's it. <laughs> so tomorrow, Karen A. Dalman right here on the big program. Uh, lots of good stuff coming down the pike in July and August. Uh, lots of good stuff on True Crime Tuesday here on Darkness Radio as well. want you to keep tuned right here to the big podcast we appreciate you listening if you have parish share stories send them in tim at darknessradio.com and uh, also go to darknessradioshow.com and be sure to uh, click on the blue button on the right hand side you can leave a voice note two minutes in length if you need more time click on the blue button again and be sure to get us your stories from your city bruiser i'm tim dennis join us again tomorrow for karen a dolman Right here on the best in paranormal podcasting, this is Darkness Radio.